Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. Nintendo finally delivered another direct, chock full of interesting announcements. The Academy Awards are an awe-inspiring dumpster fire. Mm -hmm. Will Smith is having us feeling blue. And we've got a special guest to talk to us all about Kingdom Hearts 3, Mr. Thomas Lack. Hi everyone, it's me again. It's Thomas, he's my brother, younger brother. And he is on here for two important reasons. One, he is the only person here who's played Kingdom Hearts 3. And all the other Kingdom Hearts games. Yes, he's the only person who has finished any Kingdom Hearts game. I I was <laughs> party to playing the first maybe three hours of Kingdom Hearts 1 back when that game came out. Yeah. So you almost made it through the first part of that game. Yes, I, th- I, I think we got to Traverse Town. I'm like, I think I'm good. I'm going to go home. And then oh. I left my friend's house and I went home. And then I never saw that game again. But I think, Sean, you and I can both safely say we are fascinated by Kingdom Hearts. Oh yeah, no, I've been listening to uh, a Waypoint podcast where they've been going through trying to reconstruct what the plot of that game is with only one person having actually played the games. And so I feel like I'm well-versed and can fully discuss from a period of, from a place of knowledge on Kingdom Hearts. Yes. Uh, And then the other reason we have Thomas on is, this is kind of a special occasion, we are all live in the same place, we're in Sean's basement. Yes. Uh, I flew out a couple days ago back here to Colorado because Thomas is tomorrow, 24 hours from now basically, flying to Japan, and you are, tell him what you're doing there. I'm going to teach English for a year and try to figure out how to speak more Japanese. Hopefully those two things align well. I hope so. Um, Yeah. So you're teaching English at like a, a private school sort of thing. Yeah, it's a, it's like a English school for business people and high schoolers and kids. and It's like a supplemental English place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to be living in Japan. Where are you going in Japan? Uh, I'll be spending the first two weeks training in Tokyo. And then I'll be going to Nagano, okay. which is in Nagano. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, which is just about two hours west of Tokyo, so I'll still be in central Japan. Yeah, so you're still on the main island. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll be able to go back to Tokyo fairly easily if you want. Yeah, i got to go to that electronics store a couple of times at least. <laughs> yes, that one, the one electronics store that's in Tokyo. Well, the big one. That one, yeah. Yeah. I I, I've just been, we've just been joking about all the Persona 5 tracks he's going to be listening to while walking around Tokyo. Well, I think yeah. they just play them. Like, I think I think Tokyo Daylights just plays when you're oh, walking good. around. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping for that. Uh-huh. So Thomas is going to be gone for a year. I don't think you're going to make an appearance on the podcast in that year, probably just because I think the time differential and the difficulties of remotely <laughs> recording under those circumstances would be tough. Yeah, and, you know, it's almost been a year since my last appearance anyway, so... Is that true? Time goes... I don't feel like it's been... Because he had you on for... For listeners of the podcast, mostly know you as the insane person who's, like, number one on every song in every fucking Persona dancing game. Yes, So it uh, wasn't that long ago that we talked about those. You haven't been on those since the American versions of those came out. Do you want to update your progress on Persona 3, 4, 5 dancing in the North American uh, localization? Well, yes, on the PS4 leaderboards, I have scores that are um, basically unbeatable with uh, zero notes that are not perfect. So that was my goal. I got it for all 50 of the, the base game songs. Uh, and then I went back to four and did it for all of those, except for, um, what's the jazzy one that Teddy dances to? Nah, um, it doesn't matter. Remember. Like a yeah. dream come true. Okay, there we yes. Go. 
<clears throat> so are the leaderboards separate for the Japanese and North American versions? They or are. You literally... Okay. Because yeah. I was hoping that you just were competing with yourself and didn't remember <laughs> something. It's no, like, they are, but now... Motherfucker, how, did I... how does he get the score so high? Yeah, but maybe now I'll go back to the Japanese versions and try to get all my number ones back again. You know, yeah. I mean, if once I, you're... You know. Maybe you can, when you're in Japan, go and find the other people. You know, now the... Yeah, you maybe... Can... You know, make your appearance. They mu- you must be, you know, this rumored legendary existence over there. This I'm random sure. dude who has yes. all the fucking top scores <laughs> in these Persona games. Yes, I'm sure everyone's dying to meet Mr. Stuntman. Yes, Mr. Stuntman. I think you should just walk around the street <laughs> handing out, like, business cards. <laughs> yes, I need you all, Mr. Stuntman. Okay, so Thomas, we have two stories really quickly to tell uh, Sean about. Last night we had a little going away party for you. Yeah, if and, you want to call it a party, sure. Yeah. yeah. Which so, is the weird... I feel like you maybe did those a little bit early, considering he's still here. Yes, well... Good point. Uh, yeah. Our parents, you know, um, figured out... Like, hosted it, obviously. Okay. So it was a lot of their friends and stuff. But uh, two things. One, our mom got you a cake. Yes. And we should... Sh- let's show mm. Sean the cake. And Sean, you can tell us what it says. It says, Good luck, Thomas, with an exclamation mark. And then in quotations below that, it says Gambaru. Yes, so G-A-M-B-A-R-U, which is the unconjugated form of the verb, um, you know, like, go do your best. Yes, Gambaru. And it's also used kind of as a good luck or something like that, right? Yes. If, yeah, if you've watched any anime ever in Japanese, you've heard a million characters say Gambatte like a million times. Yes. So that's, yes, that's the and, standard, you know, R-U verb version of it. It's like un- totally unconjugated. It just means to try one's best. Yes. Yeah, so she so. gave uh, him a cake that says to try one's best. It's misromanized because it should be an N. There's no such thing as a standalone M in the Japanese language. The only standalone consonant is the single N. Yes, so yeah. the funniest part, though, to me is that, like, it's not... Like, of course my mom doesn't know Japanese. That's fine. And if you look it up, it's going to be confusing because a dictionary isn't going to tell you about conjugations. Yes. So I get that. The weird, And I get why she didn't ask... Thomas, because it's a surprise. It's a cake, right? Mm-hmm. I think I see where this is going, though. But she did have access to me, uh-huh. who has been like working on Japanese stuff for a long time. Yes, we we both we were both in you know Japanese one and two in college together. So you have and, second year proficiency in Japanese, more and, than enough to handle this yes. fucking cake business. And yeah. if and even if. I had never taken Japanese. I've watched enough anime to be like, yes, you need to write ganbatte. Yes. <laughs> because as you say, it is one of the most common words in anime. Yes, yeah. You don't you, you do not need to have taken Japanese to to have guessed enough at, to, to nail that cake. So and I love it because she was so defensive about it too. She put it down on the table and immediately like we both looked at it and she said, Don't you dare like talk about this. I looked up four different websites and they said it was Gambaru. <laughs> So, you know, bless her. It's a beautiful gesture. Yes. But it is funny. I do also really love the quotation. I think the quotation marks is what makes it best. The quotation marks is that, like, this is probably not right, so let's put quotation marks on it. It's like, (laughs) Gambaru. (laughs) We're not confident enough to just have the no quotation marks. I think it sells it. And, you know, the cake tasted fine, so... The cake was good. Still got some of it. Uh, I did eat the M in Gambaru. So oh, good. Now that's, it's gone. Did you just like immediately just like let's just we can fix this? I just just cut this slide out, slice out, and now it kind of looks like an end. There we go. Yes, that was my strategy. Um, then we, you also, Thomas, got a T-shirt uh, from oh, a gosh. family member. Yeah, and the T-shirt—it's a beautiful gesture. It's a beautiful gesture. It's a custom-made T-shirt. 
Okay. Um, Let's start with the back. The back says in Katakana, America. Okay, okay. It says America, and then in Roman alphabet it says to Japan. Which, of course, is weird because I immediately read that as America to Japan, which is America and And Japan. And Japan, yeah, because to means and in Japanese. Uh But, of course, it's supposed to be America to Japan. I assume every Japanese person, if you wore that out, they can read both of those alphabets. They would read it as America and Japan. Probably. Probably. And, you know, honestly, the message, it's short enough that it doesn't really make a difference if I was going to wear it in public. Yeah. Um, I'd be no less embarrassed about wearing a shirt that says America and Japan than America (laughs) to Japan. Because... Like, honestly, I would rather have them interpreted as America and Japan, because America to Japan, I don't even really, I kind of, because you're American and going to Japan, I can deduce what the sentiment is that's trying to be expressed, but on its own, America to Japan doesn't fucking mean anything to me, so it's just like... It'll mean something for the next, basically, 48 hours as I'm traveling there. Yes, yeah. In case I get lost, I might want to have that as a backup, Mm -hmm, because then people will know where I'm headed. It's Yeah, it's a great, like, airplane t-shirt, and yeah, yeah, it's like, and you're asleep on the airplane. The other really... Where are you going, sir? Oh, I'm from America going to (laughs) Japan. You just point at the the shirt, and they can figure it out for you. And this is the better part, actually, because the front of the shirt, they wouldn't have to call me sir, because it has my name on it. Kind of. In katakana, it says Tomasu, but it doesn't say to. So there would be three syllables. Tomasu. Yes. But it's to line, so it's Tomasu. Yeah. Tomas. Yeah, which I guess I could do it that way. But it's close enough. It's a. It would be a weird way to pronounce your name. It would be. I think. Yeah. Like I think. I think that's fine. It, it adds like a flourish to it. Tomas. Yeah, yeah I guess it, it makes it more like the accented syllable yeah. in English, but Thomas. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not doing that. <laughs> mine is no. I don't have a line of mine. Mine's just Jonasan. I have yeah. one. Mine. Okay. Yeah, mine. My middle syllable is expen- is extended. So now you that know, makes we're, sense. We're a pair. Yeah, Shon. that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So All right. Well, anyway, um, so that those were the the presents you got. Um, and yeah, you have a lot. How many hours are you going to be traveling starting tomorrow? Oh gosh, so it's twenty eight until I arrive at the Tokyo airport. Twenty eight hours. Twenty eight hours plus the sixteen hour time difference. Um, but then when I get there, I have to go through customs and a three hour train ride to get to the training center. Yeah, so nice. it's going to be over thirty hours until I can actually like. And Monday is like disappearing for you. Mo- yeah, Monday's gone. I lose that day completely. <laughs> Which, you know, you and I, Sean and I have never done flights that long, right? No. So, no. so no, this The is... longest flight I've taken is, is um, from here to New York. So then yeah. that's, like, that's a long flight, but that's not a, I've lost part of my, part of my life no longer is there. Yeah. Like, it's just been consumed by some sort of time beast. You know, I'm okay with it, though, because I woke up today and we're recording on Saturday. I thought it was Sunday, so, you know, I'm already adjusted to it, apparently. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Trying to look at it in a good way. So, you know, and the day you're losing is President's Day, so it's a holiday. It's, it's a good so, day to lose yeah. in in this year, <laughs> given the current <laughs> president. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually was the whole reason you planned this thing out ahead of time, mm-hmm. specifically yeah. just so that you could destroy President's Day for yourself as a form of political protest, which Absolutely. I admire. Yeah, no, thank you. It's a bold it's strategy. Difficult. We'll have to see how effective that protest <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. Um, I'm sure we will hear fun stories from Japan, and Thomas, you know, feel free to write us notes about your experiences that we could read on the air, because I do think Sean and I can say your letter, uh, your fan <laughs> mail about my misrepresenting your DLC habits is one of our favorite letters we've read on here. Yeah. 
I will be the first to admit that I have an obsession, but thank you. It's okay. Your obsession has borne... I don't know if fruit's the right word, but you know, you've you're you're not obsessed with like nothing to show for it. I I did make progress. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just I want to make it very clear that both of you are obsessive weirdos on this podcast. And like to a degree that I am not, like I'm not a like the most I have is the persona thing, and that's fucking nothing compared to the shit that you guys get up to with your shit. No, so. I you've got like a shelf with all your persona stuff laid out very nicely. Yes. I have my Dragon Ball collection that is so large, I only recently got a cabinet large enough for all of it. Well, yeah, you were excited the other day because you yeah. found a cheap shelf you could Did I tell you guys on. about this? Yeah, I bought, I went to Goodwill and I found it was $12 because it was old and beat to hell, but I found a giant bookcase and all of my Dragon Ball stuff fits on it. There you go. That's an impressive bookcase. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, it looked like it had black mold on it a little bit, but <laughs> Just that's okay. power wash that stuff right <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it won't matter, you know, once you're, like, dying of some mysterious lung disease 15 <laughs> years from now because of that mysterious black mold. It's, you'll have lived a full life. And, and I'm going to be buried with all of my manga. Yes, yes, bury me with my manga. <laughs> all right. That sounds like a really cheesy anime show <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. going to air for six episodes before getting pulled. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and move on with some stuff. Sean... Do you have any stuff for us? I know we were off last week um, just because things were a little too busy mm-hmm. and I was preparing to fly out here and, and we didn't necessarily, you weren't able to watch Lord of the Rings and it was just, you know, we'll get there eventually. Yes. Um, I yeah. do see you have the movies stacked right here in front of us. Yes, here they're in there in a disheveled order. Um, yeah, so I have, I've continued to play um, a, a, just a lot of Destiny. It's Me too. Been, it's yeah. so good. Destiny is just like this has become my habit now. Is is I play a couple of de- hours of Destiny, like one to two hours of Destiny a night, and just sort of work through the daily and weekly challenges that way. And then I've also started watching um, Gintama, talking about anime. Mm, yeah, because that one that it has a nice like four hundred episodes or whatever, so I can be like. I don't have to worry about picking another TV show for like a year. Because I just watched like two episodes of Gintama Night. It's very funny. The episodes are very standalone because it's mostly a comedy show. I've been enjoying that a lot. And it's like, I don't have to worry about it, you know? By the time I need to pick a new TV show, maybe One Piece will have stopped. And I can just start watching that. And then I won't have to think about that for ten years. <laughs> yes. And soon you'll have a One Piece shelf. No, that's never happened. No, never happened. That's okay. never happened. Yeah, so Gintama, I read a little bit of that when it started in American Shonen Jump way back in the day, like 2005. Mm-hmm. It started around the same time as Death Note. Yeah, like the I am still in episodes that aired in 2006 in nice. Japan, so it's it's I've got a lot yeah. of, to catch up to because it's still ongoing right now. Because I remember when Gintama was new, and then like 10 years later I was surprised, like, oh shit, that's still going. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that's cool. Destiny is so good. I I'm so impressed with it. I'm so impressed with... This is... And correct me if I'm wrong, outside of like the initial launch of Destiny 1, this is the longest I have played Destiny without getting bored with it. Yeah, and I think it's basically the same for me. That, that it's been now basically like a month, a little bit more than a month, that I've been playing the game a little bit every day. Like I don't think there has been a day since I bought the DLC that I have not played at least a little tiny bit of Destiny. Yeah, I, I've, I've had a couple of like long days where I didn't do anything TV related. Uh-huh. But other than that, if I'm turning on my TV during the day, I'm going to play a little bit of Destiny. Yeah. And it's just, you're right. I mean, the whole structure, I think they've got the dailies and the heroics and the challenges. Not only are there more of them and more of a variety than ever, I think they're, they're, they've done a really good job of 
it, it focuses on different play styles. Like, if you just want to do Crucible, there's a lot of Crucible for you. Yeah. If you just want to do Vanguard stuff, there's a lot of that for you. And if you, like probably both of us, Sean, like to mix it up, mm-hmm. it's really rich and it all works together in a lot of interesting ways. They don't feel like walled gardens, which I think they could in Destiny 1 a little bit and yeah, parts definitely. of Destiny 2. Um, and, God, the event they did this week with the Valentine's Day stuff was so good. Yeah. It's so much fun. Um I haven't gotten to play it in a couple days because I'm traveling, obviously, but I, I did enough that I got that crazy powerful bow they put out, and mm-hmm. I love it. It's a pink Valentine's Day bow, and it's it's one of the best things Destiny has done. Yeah, I mean, just the bow weapon class in general is <laughs> fucking awesome. But yeah, it's, it's... It's something that should be a joke, and it's like the best weapon in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and they, the legendary and exotic bows tend to have really interesting powers, whether or not it's like that lightning bow you get when you finish the... Forsaken DLC or the just the one they give you that has exploding arrow tip and stuff. Yeah, those weapons are really fun. And one of the things I really like about the game is where I'm at with it is you have those daily challenges, you have the weekly challenges, and then also they have like the exotic quests and stuff like that. So you have this really nice layering of different goals of like I have one big exotic quest to get the, I forget what the name of the exotic hand cannon is. But there's one to get that. That's I think part of that is you have to do a bunch of crucible shit. That is maybe where you petered out. No, no, no. Is this the one for a Cade's hand cannon? Oh no. Okay, I got that one. No. So there's another okay. one for because there's another more complicated one. Because I with the black armory stuff. Oh, okay. Because I have to tell you guys, I got Cade's hand cannon. Yeah, it's good. I like hand cannons now. The hand it cannon's is like one of the best weapons to get. It's such a good weapon. It took me like five years to warm up to the hand cannon. Part of it is the reloading animation on Kate's hand cannon. Uh-huh. It's so good. He does the like Terminator 2, flip the barrel, and then put in the new um, chamber. And it's so good. And it's a really good weapon. And it's it's got like a it's got like 13 rounds, so like you do not have to worry about reloading it much. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You need to find a hand cannon that has the right set of perks and stuff that makes it so you don't have to do a very slow reload all the time. Which in Destiny 1 was a little bit harder to get. Like there are only a couple exotic hand cannons I liked in that. Destiny 2, there's such a variety of different guns within those kinds of subcategories that there are lots of... There's like a bunch of shit, fucking different kinds of hand cannons you can get. Um, that right now I am using two hand cannons. I have a primary <laughs> and then my secondary is an energy hand cannon that I use for different scenarios. Nice. Um, yeah. Because I'm a big fan of sidearms and I have a the, that exotic hand cannon and a legendary sidearm I love. And those are maybe my two favorites to use right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so your Black Armory, does that mean you have the annual pass? Yes, yeah, okay. I picked that up. I have not gotten that yet, but it's on sale this weekend, so I might have to get that. And I have to tell you, when they announced that annual pass, I kind of rolled my eyes. Now I'm like, I really want that. Yeah, I can totally I mean, see how it works. What, what sealed the deal for me was when I looked at it, like their plan thing, and saw that the next phase is going to be Gambit focused stuff. I'm like, well, fuck, now I have to yeah. do that because Gambit is still my favorite thing to do. Like, I played some Gambit earlier today. And I kicked fucking ass, and it fell. When you just do really well in a Gambit game, that's the most accomplished I feel in Destiny. Like, if I do really well at a strike, it's like, oh, that's cool. If I do really well and win a game of Crucible, it's like, yeah, that was fun. If I kick ass at Gambit, I'm like, I just killed, like, a thousand things and dropped a million moats in this fucking bank and just dunked on their team constantly. I went over to their side and killed their whole team in one round. And, and made them lose like 15 moats with because one dude had 15 moats hold, held and if he had banked it it would have been a large blocker and it's like pop right in the face he's dead it's just like fuck you guys and then we won and it was it's just it's such a fucking fun game mode yeah 
I, you know, I have to say, if if I had played Forsaken last year when it came out, I think I would have found room for it on my top ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I would have bumped or moved around, but I think it would be there. I mean, I'm honestly glad that I didn't play it, though, just because I wouldn't have had the space to play it right. like, the way that I'm playing it right now, since... You know, I'm not particularly interested in Anthem after that beta. I just feel like I have this nice, healthy stretch of where I can just play Destiny and not have to focus. I can play Destiny and watch Gintama, and I don't have to make any choices in the entertainment in my life for a long time. And that's just very relaxing for me. No, I agree. And, I mean, this is another question to ask, though. We've been having a lot of fun. Most of 2019, we've spent playing Destiny 2, and then I went on my Dragon Quest kick. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is on pause for the moment, but I will resume as soon as I am physically able. Um, that, that sounded weird, like I'm disabled at the moment. Yeah, I'm not. Um, <laughs> as soon as we get you the Xbox adaptive, like adapted controller or whatever. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a lot has happened to you that we haven't talked about on the podcast. But yes, you've turned into a brain into a jar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, I look like you know the second Dragon Ball Z movie? Where <laughs> Dr. Wheelow, he's in yes. there. Yeah, that's yes. me now. Yeah, we're still working on building the giant robot suit with the fucking crab claws. Yes. We haven't gotten there yet. Yes. Anyway, but... So we have not played any of the new games in 2019. I think you and I are both interested in things like Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. We're curious about Kingdom Hearts 3. That's why we've got Thomas here. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thomas. Um, Kyle Hoffman has to say something once every 15 minutes. I haven't played Destiny. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. It's good. Um, no, it's good. You, well, you've played Destiny, just not Forsaken. Yes. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But anyway, um, but other than that, I, I think this is a time of year where, weirdly, there's a lot coming out, and none of it makes me want to put down money. Well, Crackdown 3 came out and has, I think, a 60 on Metacritic, and I saw that and went, holy shit. <laughs> like, that's, that's low for... That's, I mean, that's like, I thought that game would get, like, it's a fucking AAA exclusive that, for Microsoft, it'll get at least mid-70s. That's the lowest that shit get tends to go, and a 60 on Metacritic, and reading some of the reviews, I'm like, oh my god, that game seems like... More of a train wreck than I would have imagined. I mean, it sounds like what it was of what we saw in development, which is they tried a lot of things, a lot of it didn't work, and finally they just kind of put out what they had. And what they had was, it seems like, kind of a slice of what Crackdown once was, and that's it, and then a couple of Terry Crews lines. Yes, I mean, it seems like literally, as someone who is like was and is a big fan of Crackdown 1... When I watched some videos and like some video reviews of Crackdown 3, just because I was like, I need to know what this game is. I need to understand what the fuck happened to Crackdown. Because Crackdown 1 was this incredible game that was both incredible but also had so many areas to improve that it seemed like fucking teed up for the most amazing sequel. And then Crackdown 2 shit the bed. And then they spent... Literally five years, because they announced Crackdown 3 at E3 2014. We've been living with that game for almost the entirety of this fucking console generation. And, and, and for them to shit the bed again, and it looks like it is like one-third of the content that Crackdown 1 had in 2007. It's like an eight-hour campaign. Yeah, and, and Crackdown 1 was set up where there were three sections that each had their own gang in like a tier of, here's like the number, the guy at the top, here's like a middle tier of four lieutenants, and then underneath them there was like five or six like normal level people, and, those, that, and you kind of worked your way up to the boss. There were three of those gangs. There is one gang in Crackdown 3, and it has fewer boss members than any of the, the individual gangs in Crackdown 1. And I looked at that, I was like, what the fuck is this? How is this how this game comes out? So it's like, and then I guess the larger point is, 2019 has felt like a weird thing so far for video games, because there are so many video games coming out right in this like period of, from last week to next week. 
and most of them have felt like either something like a Kingdom Hearts that is only for people who are already super bought into that franchise, or it's there. There are all these games like Crackdown Three and Anthem that are dropping that field like half baked and have just they're the fiscal year end dumps. Yes, exactly. But they're coming out a little bit earlier than they normally do because usually they come out like the first or second week of March. Yeah, and instead it's like the middle of February. It's like what the fuck is all? What the fuck is going on? Yeah. So there's Crackdown Three. There's Anthem. You know our thoughts on that. We don't need to relitigate that. And then there is, uh, other than it launched yesterday and, and the surfers crashed. And then, um, <laughs> and then there's Jump Force, which looks like a fucking train wreck. Mm-hmm. And you know it's got scary, like photorealistic Goku and Luffy. And like Goku freaks me out. Luffy photorealistic, like ripped, is really messed up. Yeah, the only characters that looked okay in Jump Force to me were like the Naruto characters because the Naruto art style at least is like a little bit more humany looking. Yeah. Um, but yes, Goku is like big and beefy and really broad in a way that looks weird. Like he doesn't read it. And and then and the main thing is his eyes are always stuck in angry Saiyan, like Super Saiyan mode. And it's like, no, that's not how... Goku's just standing here like chatting with the main character. And he just looks like he's about to fucking kick Freeze's ass. <laughs> and he should have his big, goofy, happy Goku eyes. And he's angry Goku. And this is not how these characters work. No, it's, uh, it's weird. So I don't know. The... Like, I was looking over our list again from our 2019 preview, Sean, and the only game coming out this month that I still feel, like, confident that if I bought it, I would enjoy it is the Phoenix Wright Collection uh-huh. that's coming out, which does not qualify as a new game because that is, like, the 50th re-release of those games. Exactly, yeah. Some of those games going back to... Because those games were originally re- uh, released on the original Nintendo DS. They were actually GBA games in Japan Just, that Jesus. then were localized as DS games. Yeah, so, so those are some, those are some old-ass video games. Yeah. So anyway, it's a weird time. Hopefully there's new stuff soon, but I don't know. I'm really enjoying just hanging out with Destiny and kind of following my heart with other movies and video games. Mm -hmm. It's a nice feeling because, you know, I think, Sean, you and I could take a step back and say we worked really hard in 2018 to play a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's so (laughs) many fucking video games came out last year. And then, then, like, Dragon Quest XI, all of a sudden I had to play that too. This is like, fucking Jesus Christ, I played a lot of games last year. All right. So here's my piece of stuff, Sean, that is kind of funny. I bought a new video game for my Switch. Okay. I, because this game, so, I bought Starlink Battle for Atlas. I saw you tweeting about this, yes. Yes. Uh Thomas is laughing because he thinks I'm an idiot. And I kind of am. You kind of are. But, this game launched, so if you don't know, Starlink Battle for Atlas is, was Ubisoft's attempt to launch a new franchise last year. Sort of kid, family focused. It is a semi-toys-to-life video game. You do not have to invest in the toys-to-life element. Yeah, eventually it, they saw that every other toys-to-life property had died yeah. while this game was in development. And they said, let's make it so you can just make some digital purchases, shall we? Yes. So they did that. The game launched in November, I want to say. October or November. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was like fall last year. Yeah. And uh, the Nintendo Switch version was special because it has a whole Star Fox element where Star Fox and the other three main characters from the Star Fox series, Peppy, Falco, and Slippy, are there as well. And they join the team and you can play and it's fully integrated. Fox is there in all the cutscenes. He's fully voiced. You can, he, you can play as him for 100% of the game if you want. Um, and if you, So the way it works is if you bought the game physically on PS4 or Xbox One, you got one of the generic ships of one of the characters in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the human characters. And if you bought it on Nintendo Switch, you got Fox as your character, and you got the R-Wing, his ship, as your physical ship toy. And then you also get an extra digital ship. So the Switch was the best value. But all of these sold for $75. So you got the game plus the toy, so a little higher than $60. They launched at $75. Sean, 
I bought this game last week for $15 new at Best Buy. I think that maybe tells you how well this game sold. Yes. So $75 to $15 is very nearly 100% off. (laughs) You know? Um, And I figured, okay, I have been curious about this game. Because it kind of looked like, you know, No Man's Sky. But without any of the planet stuff. Well, you do like, go to the planets, but you don't get out and walk. Yeah, that's what I meant. Without, yeah. like, walking around on the planets. Yeah. It's more just, like, dogfighting and flying around and doing missions. Right? Yeah. and um, But it does have the same kind of thing where, like, you can go down into a planet, go around, and then get back out. And without any loading screens, fly into space, go to another planet. Mm-hmm. That kind of cool trick that No Man's Sky has. And I thought, okay, for $15, at minimum, I get a good podcast story. Uh-huh. And that is worth $15 to me. Yeah, and, and at best, you get a cool R-Wing toy. Yeah. And, the, so, and I will say, the R-Wing toy is cool, it looks really nice, and I do have a good podcast story. Okay. So let's go. So the way this works, I open the game up, you, you've got the Switch cart and you put that in, and what it comes with is this like little rig, and it, it starts with what looks like a, a, a different kind of version of the Nintendo Switch Joy-Con grip that you can put your two Joy-Con in. So you put your two Joy-Con in this little grip, and the grip then on the top has this like mount... And you build the toy, so in this case the R-Wing, on top of that. And this is how they know what toy parts you have on there. Because the toy comes in a couple pieces. You've got the main part, two wings, and then the weapons that go on the wings. And then you also put your pilot inside. So I put Fox inside, build the ship on that, put my weapons on there. And and then it's like, okay, you have your ship. And you have to play the game if you have a physical toy with the Joy-Con in there and you're holding it and then this big toy is on top of that like over your hands. It's oh, a little... That sounds like the most comfortable way to play a video game. That's how I actually, I, I don't know if you've noticed but I have a giant Power Rangers toy from when I was a kid and I just put that on top of my DualShock 4 whenever I play Destiny. You just have it taped on there. Yeah, I just tape it on there and he yeah. just like jiggles around while I'm playing and it's great. Yeah, so that's a little weird. You know, you can always look down and like, oh, my Arwen's cool. I guess the idea is you can like take off pieces and rearrange them if you want. I see none of the strategic value to that because I have two weapons and what all I could do is just switch, are they on the left trigger or the R trigger? That does not determine any kind of strategic thing. Yeah, well, so, I think the, the, the original objective was to get you to buy booster packs and things that would have other parts that would modify your ship. And so you'd go, oh, I need to have a fire cannon on my ship or whatever. Yeah. So maybe pop off this fucking ice bullshit and put on my fire bullshit. And I do not believe those booster packs exist because the game did not sell well enough for them to make them. Exactly. So instead, that's where it turned into like the pseudo-digital. Like, yeah. it, it, You can get the physical version... But then also all the doodads are actually digital now. Yeah. Okay, so just imagine whenever I'm playing this game, I have the fucking R-Wing. And it's a big R-Wing toy. Like, you know, it's, it's not like a huge like model you would build or something. But it is a nice, sizable toy. So I've got that on this grip and I'm playing with the Joy-Cons like this. It's kind of weird. Just imagine I'm doing that while I'm playing it. Then I've got on top of that, so you, you start playing the game... And it's pretty interesting at first. Like, you start and you meet the Starlink crew, and they're basically humans from Earth who are going out. It's very Mass Effect-y. They are are exploring the stars and trying to... They're trying to map this new star system they found called Atlas. And their commander gets kidnapped, and their ship is, like, wrecked, and now they have to put stuff back together so they can go on a rescue mission. And at this point in the story is when Fox comes in, and Fox and his friends are there in the Atlas system looking for Star Wolf who is uh, up to no good, and they're, they're searching for Wolf. And Fox, like, they notice that these Starlink people are having trouble. So they're like, Fox is like, let's go save them. And Falco's like, nah, we shouldn't do that. We're here for Wolf. And Fox is like, no, we're good guys. So it's that kind of thing. And I should say, this is all fully voiced. 
And the Fox voices, the voice cast for the Fox cast is fantastic. They're really good. My main takeaway from this game is Nintendo should have Ubisoft make a Star Fox game. Uh-huh. 100%, that would be good for... Everyone would win in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, Nintendo has not made an acceptable Star Fox game since Star Fox 64. So yes. let someone else fucking go at that. Yeah, and it would be a good idea. Ubisoft would probably love to do that. They already have this working relationship. Just let that happen. But anyway, so you go around, you do some dogfights, you get crash-landed on this planet, and as Fox, or if you were playing a different version, one of the other characters, you get all your stuff together, to like you get some fuel, you explore the planet a little bit, and you go back and repair the big ship, and now you're on your adventures. Um, and what's amazing is, again, the Fox cast, who are not in the other versions of the game, are completely integrated. Like, they are there in the cutscenes, they're just, like, standing behind the fucking pilot of the ship looking around... The characters are interacting with them. All the quest dialogue is recorded with Fox and Falco and Slippy and, and Peppy. And they're interacting with the humans. My favorite thing is that all the other characters in this game are humans. Or like obvious aliens. Like, you know, kind of movie alien kind of things, yeah. right? And nobody bats a fucking eyelash at the anthropomorphic animals. <laughs> it is amazing. No one ever reacts to that. Even though in the lore of this universe, it does not seem like there are anthropomorphic, you know, fucking slippy toads out there. Right. They do not bat an eyelash at that. So anyway, I was enjoying this game. Like, it's not the best thing I've ever played, but the action is fun. It looks gorgeous. It's got some of the same hooks as a No Man's Sky of, like, you get to see cool locales and go into space and go to new planets. Um... But there came a point where I couldn't play the game anymore. Because I... uh, So I died at one point while trying to get to a new planet. And when you die, you have to switch to one of your other pilots or restart from a checkpoint. So I'm like, okay, well, I have another ship. It's the digital one they gave me. I could not and still do not know. I have looked it up. I have gone on message boards. I do not know how to switch from my physical ship to my digital one. I don't know how to do that. Because when I died, it says, put a new ship on your mount... And I'm like, I do not have another one, but I see on screen it's showing my other digital ship, but I cannot do anything with it. So it completely baffled me. I could not figure that out. If anyone knows, let me know. So I restart, but now that I've restarted, oh, but before I restarted, while I was trying to troubleshoot this and figure out how I use my digital ship, I took the R-Wing off of the mount to see if, like, maybe if I just take that off, it'll switch to the digital ship. Yeah. Logical, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I took it off, and that didn't work. So I restart. I have to put the R-Wing back on. When I put the R-Wing back on, something must have gone wrong either in the mount or in the ship or in one of the connecting ports because it stopped recognizing the right wing. And what I mean by that is that in the game, it's got my, my ship rendered. I'm flying around, and then it will go to the pause menu, and it will show now my ship has no right wing. And I'm like, oh, well, the right wing is on there. So I pull it off, put it back on. And then I've got like maybe 10 more seconds flying around and then it goes back to that. Or it just loads and now I have no right wing and I can just fly around with one left wing and one, <laughs> one weapon. Well, that's convenient that yeah. they let you this like, you know, in case, you know, you had a kid that like was playing with your R-wing toy and broke off the right wing. You didn't know where it was. You can still play the game. Yeah. Just, you know, a little, with a little bit of a handicap. A little bit of a handicap. I guess it's a challenge mode. And uh, that is where my adventures with Starlink have ended because I tried troubleshooting that for a good half hour. I took the whole ship apart, pulled it apart, rebuilt it. I took... You can even put the wings on backwards and put the right on the left and the left on the right. I did that. It's still the left side just will not work. Um, Nothing will read. It will come in and out. It's impossible to play because the game physically pauses when you make changes to the ship. Mm -hmm. So it's just impossible to play. 
unless I just decide to go without a right wing entirely, which is not really viable to play the game because it is based on having two guns. Uh-huh. Uh, and also you fly a little weird with just one wing. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. And I have no idea I will probably return the game because it... Like, that's a very valid reason for returning something. <laughs> yes, no, that is the reason why we can return things. Is yes. when we buy them and they break for no fault of our own. Yeah, so uh, that's Starlink, Battle for Atlas. It seems okay. Maybe they need to do some quality control. Maybe buy the digital version that you don't yeah. all of a sudden have to, to fucking do some weird toy that, like... Cause that's the thing that just seems pointless is don't make the toy... Like, like you can have the toy and have fun with the toy... But don't make the toy something that if the toy doesn't work, then the game doesn't work. That yeah, seems it's so... like you've introduced... That's bad engineering. You've introduced fault points that do not need to exist in this video game all of a sudden. It also limits... You can you can only use the Joy-Con. You cannot right. use your Pro Controller at all. So, And I'm fine using my Joy-Con. I'm not sure if I'm fine using them in a version of the Joy-Con grip with a giant toy on top. Uh. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that's Starlink. One thumb up. <laughs> the thumb's broken the, yeah. other, the other thumb won't connect Yeah, it's like the other thumb is up It's just you can't see it because it keeps like, disconnecting So the, the reward screen keeps on pausing Yeah yeah. Alright, what games have you been playing lately, Thomas? Um, well, I finished you know Kingdom Hearts 3 a few weeks ago uh, And then I was trying to figure out Why there were things about it that I had problems with And I decided to play Mass Effect Okay. To okay. Help, to okay. Help me yeah. Sort that out. That seems like A to B. That's very. I feel it will make sense when we when we talk about Kingdom Hearts three. Short version. I <laughs> okay. think your logic was Mass Effect is a story that wrapped up for you very well, and the the, the the I wanted to get into this when we talk about Kingdom Hearts three, but the short of it is Mass Effect three has like a lot of things that it needed to wrap up, and yes. so did Kingdom Hearts three, and Mass Effect three was way better at it. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. I'm not sure if it's a better game, but it was better at wrapping up the story. It's probably also a better game, but yeah. It doesn't have the Frozen song in it. which is it, does not, it, it does not have Sora, Donald, and Goofy awkwardly standing behind Elsa <laughs> as she's singing. Look, over there! Elsa, she's singing! <laughs> We're about to get into the news. Speaking of Frozen, did any of you guys see the Frozen 2 trailer? That came yeah, out? uh-huh, yeah. It, it, uh, one thing I do, you know, so I'm a student teaching um, at a high school, and so I have a, a good, healthy, like, 15-minute lunch break time and so oftentimes I use a little bit of that time to like grade papers and stuff and then usually while I'm eating lunch I'll be like oh what's happening on Twitter and I'll maybe watch like a little YouTube thing and so I saw that I was like oh Frozen whatever like I don't have anything else to do it's lunch there's no one else here I'll just watch this Frozen 2 trailer and I was like is this what Frozen is? Because <laughs> I haven't seen that movie I've seen the part where she sings Let It Go in Japanese um, <laughs> I still have only heard the Japanese version of that song As far as I know Maybe I've been at a fucking King Supers or something They played it But as far as I know I've, My only exposure to Frozen Is entirely through the Japanese version of that song Both from the Japanese version of the movie And from the Japanese version of Kingdom Hearts 3 When I watched that cutscene I found it very funny um, So you know I don't know what happens in Frozen Outside of that context And I know there's like a funny snowman or something in it You know Um, I saw the movie And I also don't know what happens outside of that context Okay yeah so that seems to be my impression Of like what Frozen is Is that the ice lady sings the ice song And then there's maybe a funny snowman I might be thinking of a different movie I don't know for that part So I watched that Frozen 2 trailer And all of a sudden it's like 
it looked like it was supposed to it's like a scene from an anime where like the heroes all have been defeated it's like before Yusuke goes to the dark tournament saga in Yu Yu Hakusho and like he's gotten his ass kicked by younger Togoro is like I need to go train but I'm like so despondent and like been broken and so I'm standing on a dark shadowy beach and then now it's like instead of you know for in Frozen she's going and doing the ice shit and and he doesn't do this in Yu Yu Hakusho but you could imagine he's just firing spirit guns or for Dragon Ball to be Kamehameha's out into the ocean that is like no i have to pick myself up and get back into the fight is that what frozen is is frozen a show no. anime no but it would be if frozen 2 was what this trailer is I, that'd be fucking awesome yeah this trailer looks like a trailer for a really cool movie it's a little weird that you have very 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 cartoony elsa on an absolutely photorealistic beach which yeah. is the weirdest like thing but other than that like you're right it looks like a shonen anime where elsa has just like lost to an ice giant or something, and now she has like isolated herself on a beach and is training and like wrecking her body until it is in shape that she can like defend the kingdom once again. And it looks like an epic war movie. And all I'm thinking is, I saw Frozen. You guys can't make me forget that Frozen is a pretty dumb movie with a snowman who is supposed to be funny but really isn't, has one good song, and that's Let It Go, and otherwise does none of the actual subversion of Disney tropes that people like to pretend it does. It is a very, very traditional 90s Disney movie with some 2000s postmodernism like stapled onto it in places. Frozen 2, I don't know. Maybe it's just the trailer, but I like to imagine that they just went, you know what? We Our movie made a billion dollars. We're going to do whatever the fuck we want with this thing. Because it looked bizarre. I wonder if any of that footage is even in the movie. <laughs> I might get, like, it looked like it wasn't. Like, it, yeah. that so it looked like it, we made this cool, because it looks cool. So we made this cool teaser trailer. Because that, like, because what I want to see is I want to go see Frozen 2 and just have, like, for most of the movie, it's the other characters that aren't Ice Lady. And they're struggling against the boss. And then... <laughs> They're like at their wits end and it's like they're about to be killed. And then out of nowhere, Ice Lady shows up and her hair is like standing all up in her whole, like she's got this frozen aura and things are crackling around her. And and then the villain goes up and is like, oh, so you want to fight me? And she looks at him and says, no, I want to kill you. And then she <laughs> shoots an ice beam down his throat and then he dies. That's the movie I want to see. In this, sounds, sounds in, good. in this scenario, Olaf the little snowman, I think, would be Chaozu. Yes, yes, yes. At some point, he jumps onto Nappa's, sorry, the villain's back and explodes while the, like, doofy-looking male character that's in that trailer, who I assume was in the first movie, his arm has been punched clean off. He goes, no, snowman guy! Ah! Yes. I That's would like I it saying. if this movie was also made with just a general lack of knowledge for anyone's name. <laughs> <laughs> no, snowman guy. All right. Disney also released this week. Now we are transitioning into the news. Yeah, what's going on in the news, Jonathan? There was the Super Bowl. Was this at the Super Bowl? No, this was at the Grammys. Um, the Super Bowl was while we were recording the last episode. Yes. But at the Grammys, Disney released the first trailer with actual footage for Disney's for the new Aladdin movie. This is the remake directed by Guy Ritchie of the new, uh, of Aladdin, of the, the 1992 animated classic with Robin Williams that we all like. Aladdin yeah. is a movie that's hard to dislike, I think, mostly because of Robin Williams. Yes, I don't think I've seen that movie in this century. I think the last time I saw this movie, it was still the 90s, um, so I would have been like seven or six, but I, rem- I have fond memories of it, yes. Yes, and I would gladly watch it again because Robin Williams is one of the greats. Yes. Um... 
the trailer looked innocuous enough. You know, it looked kind of cheap, but most of Disney's live-action remakes do. Yeah, it, I had the same impression watching that as I have watching any of these fucking things, which is make a new fucking movie. Yeah, but otherwise innocuous. Yes. Until you get to the last scene where we see Will Smith's genie, and dude comes out. Uh, I thought for a little bit it was actual Will Smith slathered in blue paint. Apparently it is CGI Will Smith. But he comes out as the genie. And he, he, you know, talks a little bit about how, like, I'm the genie, and he is blue, but otherwise, he's just Will Smith, CGI, Uncanny Valley as fuck, and he's talking just like normal Will Smith in, like, Fresh Prince or Men in Black yeah. or something like that, and... It is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. No horror movie this year. Like, Jordan Peele, I'm sorry. Us looks really good. It's going to be scary. It's not going to be as scary as the 10 seconds of that Aladdin teaser. Yeah. No. It's... Like, it's bad when I see CGI in a movie, or I guess for this is a trailer, and the first thing I think of is Dwayne The Rock Johnson as the Scorpion King in The Mummy 2. Yes. Because that is obvious... Obviously, the CGI is better in this Aladdin trailer than that. But it's the same impression of, like, why did you turn a very recognizable actor into a bad video game character when probably, like, actually practical effects would have worked better? Or you could have had him not look like the actual actor at all and made a different look for the character, which would have probably been the best choice. Yes, because it's not even, like, a blue genie-esque being... Because the genie, remember, in Aladdin does not have human proportions. No, yeah, he's, he's got like a, a big smoke- weird tail, like smoky tail, and he's got huge, like big broad shoulders, right? Yeah, yeah, a, t- a traditional like Dijin character, yes. Jin character, like like Majin Buu in in Dragon Ball. Yes, um, and this is just it is normal human proportioned Will Smith tinted blue. Like it looks like they went to Microsoft Paint and did the fill all and just picked a blue, the first blue that came up. You know what it reminds me of, Sean? Have you ever seen those clips of when Dragon Ball Kai aired on Nicktoons? <laughs> yeah. And they had to censor Mr. Popo, so they just made Mr. Popo blue? Yes. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I can see this, yeah. Yeah. Now, apparently he's not going to look like that in the whole movie. Just in some scenes when he is a genie, genie, he'll do that, but he will turn into a human and just be normal Will Smith. Correct choice, I think, but... So it's just, at that point, they're just making Kazam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't. Instead of Shaquille O'Neal, it's Will Smith. But, yeah. like, I, so I'm just imagining he's in, like, the full turban and everything. Yeah. It's just Will Smith. Okay. There's a picture of that. Entertainment Weekly had photos of, like, the set, and he's he's on there in that. But it's it's just terrifying. It's so weird. I mean, the appeal of the genie in the original movie is it's Robin Williams going crazy, and because it's animation, they can animate whatever Robin Williams imagined in the booth. It was a largely improvised performance. Yeah. You can't do that this way. And they made it look like just normal Will Smith walking around as a genie with like weirdly like a weirdly puffy chest he kind of yeah. had. It's just terrifying. It's just weird. And I need to, I think, adjust my box office predictions for Aladdin <laughs> down. Yeah. On podcast 274, I think it was, I predicted that movie would make like $1.2 billion. I don't think it hits a billion because I think people will be scared of the movie. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, once this... Teasers shown in tra- in like movie theaters and stuff. People will be running, screaming from the yeah. theater. Like it, it'll we'll have to make a new like 
example for the like what's okay with free speech you know like there's always the thing you learn if you take like american government in high school is like oh there's limits for example you can't scream fire in a crowded theater which is the example that i assume they've been using since like the 19th century because i always get the impression that they don't mean movie theater when they use that example (laughs) they mean like a live theatrical performance but now it's like oh yeah you can you can like do whatever you want you can make any kind of art you want you just can't show bad cgi blue will smith in a crowded theater people will die like that's harmful like the government's going to pass laws to stop this exact kind of bullshit i don't know if you've seen this sean but both incredibles 2 last year and into the spider verse had to have warnings posted on the theaters about strobe effects yes for people with like a seizure warning they're gonna have to do that with aladdin like warning Will Smith looks fucked up in this movie. It may disturb your children, your adults, people of any age. Yeah. If you have a weak heart, don't watch Aladdin. Yes, if you have a heart condition, like pregnant women shouldn't come. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, it's bad. It's you, real bad. Do you have any thoughts, Thomas? I, I, the first time I saw it was without the sound. So <laughs> I got hit with how weird it was twice. Because first time I just absorbed how weird it was to look at it. And then just to hear normal Will Smith coming out of that on a separate occasion made it especially spooky. So, um, yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah you That's got, about all I can say. You've got to go see it in Japan in fucking Japanese, whoever dubs Will Smith. I might do that if they're, yeah. <laughs> if I were spending a year in Japan, I would be so excited to go see all the Hollywood movies dubbed in Japanese. Oh my god, Thomas, you have to go see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in Japanese, because I've... They, it's, I think it's releasing in March or something. I saw a trailer on YouTube that they've been releasing character trailers for all the different Spider-Mans and who's voicing them. And Akio Otsuka is voicing Spider-Man Noir. Akio Otsuka being the voice of Salt Snake in Japan and, and lots of other stuff. <laughs> nice. And it is the best casting of anything since they cast Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir in English. And, it, and fucking, yeah. I, that, I'm excited now to watch that again, but I'll have to watch it in Japanese because yes. I want to see that. <laughs> all right. Anyway... Let's move on. Another movie-related topic. I just this is this this topic is called "Why are the Oscars such a clusterfuck this year?" Uh huh. There are yeah. many reasons. There was there was a recent blow up that we will talk about. But the this has been the most clusterfuck awards season I've ever seen. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. And what's weird is that 2018 was a good year for movies. Mm-hmm. It had so much good stuff, and you really would not know it following this awards season because there have been stupid nominees. Like fucking Green Book, which is not a horrible movie, but is a dumb, like C plus movie, with you know, breaking my balls here yeah. from Viggo Mortensen. There is a literal scene where Viggo Mortensen takes an entire like large pizza, folds it in half, and eats it because that's their you know view of Italian Americans in this movie. Um, that movie you know is up for everything and will probably win Best Picture. It's very hard to predict Best Picture because all the precursor awards have gone to different movies, but it won the PGAs, the Producers Guild, which is predictive like ninety seven percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've had a lot of weird omissions and snubs. You've had a lot of movies getting elevated for odd reasons, like Bohemian Rhapsody, which <laughs> I mean, I don't. We don't even have time on our normal four length fuck four hour fucking podcast to explain how fucked up the whole Bohemian Rhapsody thing is. But just Google Brian Singer. And read about it if you haven't yet. Yeah. Um, it's fucked up that that movie is up for things. And we'll probably win Best Actor with Rami Malek out there being like, oh, I had no idea about the allegations when I signed on to do this movie with a guy who's really famous for, you know, molesting, you know, kids basically. Yes. Um, it's underage people. Uh, all right. So that's fucked up. Um, there's been a lot of dumb just controversies behind the scenes. There's been a lot of infighting. They literally could not find a host because they, they got Kevin Hart at one point, And then Kevin Hart had a bunch of tweets that were just 
horribly homophobic Mm -hmm. and instead of doing the right thing and just being like you know what i'm so sorry i was younger i was stupider i thought that was funny it wasn't i i I want to learn i want to be better he did none of that yeah he was like fuck you guys i'm not apologizing and went on ellen degeneres and ellen degeneres who we all thought was a nice just a very nice lady who did good things for the world defended him and that was weird um and and all of that, and now they just don't have a host because no one in Hollywood wanted to do it. They tried to get Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and apparently he just like laughed them out of the room. Yeah, it's just like fucking. I don't need this shit. It's like, excuse me, I'm Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and no. Can you smell what I'm cooking? Get out of this room. Yes, all right, not the fucking Oscars. Not the fucking Oscars. And and then this week, because a lot of this has been fueled by. They are hell-bent on getting the Oscars telecast to a three-hour show that does not go over three hours. If you don't know, the Oscars usually run between three and a half and four hours, sometimes over four. And they are apparently under the impression that if it is a three-hour show, it will get higher ratings. Even though, if you look at an analysis of the last 20 years of Oscars telecasts, there is no visible correlation between length of the telecast and ratings. The highest rated telecast of the 2000s is 2003, when Return of the King won everything, and that show was a full four hours. So, like, the the, the correlation is what movies are nominated, not yeah. what the length of the show is. Because if you if you want to watch Lord of the Rings win Oscars, you'll watch a four-hour show. You're, all, you're in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, yeah, right? I mean, you already watched the four-hour movie, so yeah. what's another four hours? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um... But in an effort to get the show down to three hours, this week the Board of Governors announced that they were taking four categories out of the main show. They were going to present them during commercial breaks and then show short edits of the speeches afterwards. So this must be like, they cut like best original song... You know, some of those ones is just like, eh, who really gives a shit? Maybe like took the short films out, not to be disrespectful, but like maybe showed them beforehand. Yeah. Then did a clip package, like because you want to do the short film awards, they give a lot of exposure to new filmmakers, but maybe they don't need to be in the main show because they're not features. This is for feature. Yeah. No, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. They did best makeup and hairstyling, best short live action films. I guess just they threw a dart at the shorts, <laughs> and then they did uh-huh. editing. And cinematography, the award so synonymous with the art of filmmaking, it has the word cinema in its goddamn name. Uh-huh. It's like they picked literally like like the order of awards is like best picture, best director, and then best editing, best cinematography are like in a dead heat for me as like that's like the order of importance yes. for the awards. And then like everything else is after that. Like those are like the ones that are definitely at the top. And then there's a big space, and then there's maybe like best screenplay, your actor awards, you know, then like the sort of like other craft awards, like makeup and, and costuming and stuff. It's but those are the fucking biggies. You know, I think uh, Guillermo del Toro said this on Twitter, and he said it best. Uh, because he was also eloquent and he was not swearing like the rest of us, you know. He was trying to actually make a difference. And Guillermo del Toro said something to the effect of, you know, other art forms have music and they have acting and they have, you know, writing and they have directing. Our medium is unique in that editing and cinematography do not exist in other mediums. Yeah. And he's correct about that. That's what filmmaking is. Filmmaking is moving pictures, which is what cinematography is versus photography, and it is editing, which is taking things and splicing them together, which theater and novels and all paintings and all forms of art before film do not have. So they are literally the heart of cinema. And I get that they are not the most exciting awards for everybody because not, you know, a lot of people don't know the name Roger Deakins, but they know Jennifer Lawrence. And that's yeah. fine. But you cannot look at me with a straight face 
and say Rami Malek winning for fucking Freddie Mercury and Bohemian Rhapsody is a more important award than someone like, um, uh, I forget his name, but the guy who edited Black Klansman, who is up for the first time, despite having edited all of Spike Lee's movies going back to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell me that's more important. And there's just a ton of people like this in those two awards. And it is, what's funny is that, like, if they wanted to do an experiment of cutting some awards, there are awards they could have cut. There are three short film categories that I think giving them their own little show would have actually probably made everyone happier. Because they would get more focus. You could have uh, combined uh, the sound categories, mixing and editing, not disrespectfully because actually a lot of these sound technicians think those two should be combined because it's really one big team effort, uh-huh. mixing and editing. So you could that would have gotten rid of four. You know, original song is the dumbest Oscar because it has almost nothing to do with the filmmaking. This year there is one song nominated, or two, sorry. There is Shallow from Star is Born and there is whatever song they did from Mary Poppins Returns. Those songs actually have something to do with the movie, so that counts. But if it's one of the songs that plays over the end credits, I'm sorry. That has nothing to do with movies. Yeah. It could not have less to do with movies. My Heart Will Go On from Titanic doesn't have anything to do with Titanic. Yeah, but it's also just, for me, Best Original Song has always felt so strangely specific. An award that's just like, there's no, like, best dance choreography or, like, action choreography. Like, that's not an award, even though there are people whose entire careers in the film industry are those things. Those are not recognized, probably because yeah. actually, because I was going to say, because don't they usually have like performances of the original songs? I haven't actually they watched do. the Academy Awards yeah. in fucking forever. So it takes up about a half an hour of the show. Yeah. So that's almost certainly the reason why it's still there because they're like, oh, we can have our live musical performance. How much more kick ass would it be if they did a live reenaction of like a fight scene from a movie, like, chore- like re choreographed for like a live performance, and you had the stunt people there? That would be fucking badass. I would watch that. It would be really cool. And there actually has been a campaign for decades now to get a best stunt category yes. for the stuntmen. And that means, like, this in re- recent years, you could have had, like, the people from John Wick 2 come out and do it. You could have all the stuntmen and Tom Cruise from Mission Impossible Fallout reenact him breaking his leg. Yeah, you know. like, yeah, I want to see Tom Cruise fly a fucking helicopter and, like, a nosedive and land on the stage in the Academy Awards. Like, that's, I would watch it then. I'm not going to watch someone do a song from the new Mary Poppins movie. I don't give a shit. I didn't even see that movie. They also picked the worst song from the Mary Poppins movie. I'm sure they did. Which one did they pick? They picked the, um... The one she... It's the replacement of the song in the original movie where she sings them to sleep. I don't remember what it's, the one is in Mary Poppins 2, but it's like uh, the place where lost things go, that one. Yeah, it's totally not memorable. Yeah, it's like a 90-second song also. That movie had much better songs. Anyway, yeah, it's... So, okay, this was obviously a very... <laughs> you cannot be more disrespectful than kicking cinematography out of the Oscars. Yeah. I don't even know. It's just so crazy. They did finally, after a lot of pressure, that I assume backstage had something to do with a lot of people like Alfonso Coron, who might very well win Best Director, being like, you know I'm not coming to this show unless you reinstate that. Yeah. So they did last... So we're recording this Saturday. As of Friday night, they said, okay, we'll air everything. Fine. It's so stupid. Like, I don't feel like giving anyone a pat in the, on the back. Because if you, if you cannot figure out that cinematography and editing should be in the main show, I really don't know what to do for you. Yeah, like, that's the thing where it feels like, for all, like, the main people that are putting on the show, show they're having, like, one of their meetings. They say, okay, we, it's like, one of our goals this year is to get it down to three hours, like, a nice televised length, whatever. And it's like, okay, what are some things we can do to do that? And then they're all talking, and then one person raises their hands, like, what if we cut best editing and best cinematography? <laughs> In a normal universe, at that point, it's like, get the fuck out, 
I don't know who you are. I don't know how you got in here. Wherever you, whoever you are, and wherever you were for, you're fucking fired immediately. Fucking leave, please. Excuse me. What actually happened was, huh? You know, hmm. You know what? You got something to you, kid. Like that's you. Like that's what actually happened. And it's like, and then somehow we got to this point. Luckily, they pulled back at the last second, but. We shouldn't have ever been here. Like, this is, it's a bizarre place to have gotten to in the first place. So you have to pull back. Like, you're not supposed to be driving towards the cliff to, like, stop at the last second. We're just supposed to be on the normal fucking highway, guys. Yeah. What's going on here? You know, Sean, you made a funny tweet about this saying, Oh, so instead of the Game Awards becoming more like the Oscars, the Oscars are becoming more like the Game Awards. But the Game Awards at least have, like, a fucking best graphics award that goes out during the main show. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, no. It, they, well, they, it is still... Sort of annoys me that the Game Awards are doing the thing of like, oh, they go to commercial break and when they come back, it's like, and here's like the five other like random awards that that people won. That's like this like what they deem to be the smaller awards. Just don't do that. This just feels rude and weird. Um, but yeah, you're right. They don't cut the like marquee fucking awards. They don't cut like the most important ones. Because I think one thing people don't realize about the Oscars is it's a pretty svelte set of categories. Uh, to begin with like you could have a lot more and i think there's justification for having several more but it's a pretty svelte 24 like the grammys have something like 80 categories Uh and they only present a couple during the show and that makes sense because you're not going to watch a show that presents 80 awards yeah the oscars have 24 and one of the things that i think is commendable about the oscars is they they do the 24 and they always have i don't think there is a real constituency for not doing those you know, like, because what you're trying to do is you're trying to aim the show at people who don't care about movies. And if you don't care about movies, you're not going to watch the Oscars anyway. Yeah, there's no, like, the only universe in which I watch anything from the fucking Oscars is if fucking some horrible tragedy happens and I watch it on the news. Or you have fucking Tom Cruise dive bomb a helicopter and land it on the stage. Like, you have to do the cool stunt shit. Or something awful has to happen. Those are the only two things that will get me to watch the fucking Oscars. And that's it. Like, I will never, ever watch the Oscars just to see the awards. Like, I'm never going to be that kind of person. So if they're trying to appeal to me in cutting shit and being like, let's get it down to three hours. It's like, the Oscars would have to be like five minutes long for me to bother to watch it. Like, I'm not watching a three hour long Oscar show. Yeah, I don't know. All right. You guys want to talk about the Nintendo Direct this week? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Nice. So Nintendo had their first Direct in a couple of months. This was actually, I I saw, at least from the launch of the Switch, this is the longest we've gone without a Nintendo Direct. So it was well overdue. And, uh, you know, not every prediction people had was was confirmed, but it was a pretty good one. Like, there was a lot here. It was a surprising Nintendo Direct in the sense of that, like, it didn't talk about a lot of the games that I think people assumed that would would come up. Like, Like, Animal Crossing didn't show up. Like, they didn't talk about anything about the new Pokemon game. They didn't... So, like, a lot of the things that we know are in the pipeline didn't come up. Um, a couple of things that we knew were in the pipeline did. Like, obviously, Fire Emblem. They well announced ahead of time that Fire Emblem was going to be a big thing here. But there were a lot of new announcements that I don't think many people like myself were expecting to, to come up here. Yeah. So, let's go through them. I've got them arranged. Not exactly in the order they came in the show, but more for discussion here. Um, 
Let's start with Super Mario Maker 2. Yep. This was how they started the show. It's coming really soon, June 2019. They haven't given a date, but it is June. So we, I assume around E3 is when they, they, they did that with Mario Tennis Aces last year, and it was pretty successful. Um, it now has, it has a ton of new features. Like now you can make slopes in the game that don't have yep. to be stair-step, which sounds small, but if you know how Mario works, that's important. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole new control scheme because, again, this you, you don't have the Wii U gamepad anymore. So they've had to rearrange. Like It looks like a lot of things are in like... Like, you would hold, like, ZL, and you would have a, an option that's, like, in a wheel, and then you could grab one of those. It looks pretty good. Yeah, it, of... it was a lot of, like, looked like a lot of toggles and regular menus, which yeah. probably will work well. Yeah. Um, they've got a new game mode based on Super Mario 3D Land and 3D World, which includes Cat Mario. They've got new playable characters like Luigi. It looks fantastic. It looks like everything that was in Mario Maker 1, plus a bunch of new stuff. It looks very definitive, and... I can't imagine anyone not enjoying it. Mario Maker 1 was like the biggest success on the Wii U in terms of, I think, creativity. And I think this will be a a great addition to the Switch. Yeah. It was that thing where it felt like this announcement should have come sooner. But obviously this game has been in the works for a while. It feels weird that they didn't tease it at some point just because it felt like... They did, it felt like at some point Nintendo maybe didn't realize how much people loved Super Mario Maker because they just weren't leaning on that. It felt like that was one of the games I was sure they were going to bring over from the Wii U really quickly in that like spree that they had with like Mario Kart and shit. It's like, of course Super Mario Maker is going to come over in some form and it just went a long time before they talked about it. But yeah, it's... Here's my smart. theory. Yeah. They were waiting until Super, new Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe was out. Because I think there would be, like, no appetite for that game once this was announced. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, this definitely kind of shoots that one in the foot. It's a good game. I don't want to, like, put it down. But, like, people want the Mario Maker, you know? Yes. Yeah. What do you think about this, Thomas? Looks good. I never played the original. Oh, okay. Um, you played levels I made for you, and they pissed you off. Yeah, well, yeah. That's the thing about a lot of those <laughs> player-made levels. They're mostly just to troll people. Yeah, but there are some great ones, and I hope oh, yeah. they have a better share system this time. Yeah, that's some of the stuff I'm most curious about. Is you know, Super Mario Maker One had all that like the Miiverse stuff was attached to it, and there was like the online infrastructure of the Wii U was a part of that game. And I'm just curious to see how they do some of those features now. Like like what yeah. how, like taking another crack at it. When when does Nintendo understand how the internet works? Is an ongoing question. So. This is another. This will be another go at, at bat. Yes. It seems like a lot of that Smash Brothers stuff. I've heard some of the netcode for that. People are not very happy with. It 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 totally waxes and wanes. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's some modes and and ways you play it where you never notice it, and it's very very smooth. Especially accepting that fighting games are very difficult to do online with. Yeah. But there's a lot of limitations. Like Thomas and I play online a lot, and if you want to just get with a friend in a lobby, you're very limited in what you can play. Uh, like a lot of modes are cut off. As... Yeah, it seems weird. Like if it's just a two-person lobby, why can't it just be like couch, you know, sitting next to each other? Yeah, like why can't you do all the like why can't you bring in CPUs? Well, why can't you and... do like stage morph? You can't play with CPUs. You can't do any of the special Smash stuff. You can't do Squad Strike. No Squad Strike. That one I kind of understand because it seems like you know it's a little more of a. There's a separate lobby for that. Yeah, I, I can understand the lack of stage morph online because it is very CPU intensive. But, but, but you're like, so what you're saying is that like, not you're not talking about oh, well, I want to go online and match with randos, but like you two, yes, we get you're like lobby. in different locations, yeah, each on your own switch. 
get into like a party and it would be the kind of thing that if you're say play say playing Halo 3 which came out in 2007 and you're like oh let's we can just play a custom game and play the game as in the exact same way that we would if it was split screen on the yeah. same couch you can't yeah. do that in no no that's okay that's weird it yeah. is weird yeah because I was talking more about like there was a lot of stuff about like there was a tournament preliminary thing that went on that I think Nintendo was holding that had a whole like online preliminary match thing that was happening and there was a lot of bad lag and that was more what I was seeing it was like oh it seems like some of their lag stuff with the netcode is not great yeah, I've I didn't had, hear about any of that shit. <laughs> I've had moments with lag in Smash Ultimate, but it, it's it's not been a, a super big problem for me. Um, but it obviously has been for some people, so I just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. so we'll see what anyway. they do with Super Mario Maker 2. Yes, so now we're going to go rapid fire through a bunch of game announcements that probably don't deserve a ton of discussion. Uh, so for instance, Box Boy, which is the kind of beloved cult favorite on the 3DS made by HAL Laboratories, the Kirby people, um, is getting a new game for Switch. It's called Box Boy plus Box Girl. The big hook is it's got co-op. It has 270 stages, and it's coming April 26th. If you've never played Box Boy, it is really good, uh, and I'm excited it's going to make the jump to Switch. And not get kind of left behind on, on the 3DS. I think you mean you're the happiest at the making the jump that they're building a slow, like, pyramid structure of boxes up to be able to get to the Switch. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's uh, fun. There you go. They announced, Oki- that game works. they announced Okinaki, which is the new game from the Tokyo RPG Factory. They've been, you know, toiling away in the factory. Uh, they made I Am Setsuna. They made right, Lost yeah. Sphere, which I still have not played, but I would want, like to someday. And now they have Okinaki, which looks quite different from the last two. Um, I, I didn't get a huge feeling for it, but it does not, like, Lost Sphere and I Am Setsuna were very, they had, like, the Chrono Trigger battle system with sort of Final Fantasy-esque graphics. This looks different. Uh, Starlink is getting new Star Fox DLC in April, so... That game apparently didn't sell well, but I'm guessing the Switch version did better mm-hmm. because the other versions are not getting anything new. It's just Switch, and it's getting a new set of levels where you can play as Slippy, Falco, and Peppy. So that's kind of neat. Um, maybe if I can get my ship working by then, I'll test that <laughs> out. Uh, Smash Ultimate is getting version 3.0, which will come with the Joker DLC, the first paid DLC for the game, in April. Um, so that is as much as they said about it on yeah. the direct. That yeah. one sentence. Yeah, I was very surprised when I because I didn't watch like the whole direct from beginning to end. I kind of skipped around, and I was when I got to the Smash Bros. thing, I saw Joker on the screen. It's like, oh, I should back up a little bit and watch the whole Smash Brothers. I was like, oh, that was the whole Smash yeah, Brothers. That was thing. It. <laughs> we already knew about it. It was basically to placate people. They said we're having an update. We can't tell you what's in it yet. There will be Joker. He's coming before the end of April. Bye. I also think it's just. Really weird that they're calling it it's like version 3.0. It's like that game came out like a couple of months ago. Well, Switch like, like, firmware is up to 7.0. It's like, so, what? Did they not understand how that shit works? Like, no, no Nintendo always does it like 1.0, 2.0. They never do 2.1. They never do 1.0. Why is it point anything? I know, it's very weird. Like, if you don't want to fucking use decimals, then don't put the decimal place there. Yeah. It's fine. Just use whole numbers. The, the Switch UI is up to version 7.0, and 0. it looks. It looks virtually identical to launch yeah. version 1.0. Yeah. It's I wonder weird. at what point fucking Netflix is on it. Is it going to be version 12.0.0? I don't know. It's, it's Maybe so that's 12.0.1. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's the little ticker. We got Netflix on there. That's our point zero point one. Uh, all right. Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is coming this summer. I think that's with the first time they've given us a release window. Yeah. That game still looks pretty cool. Yeah, I still just don't have... Because they didn't show much. I just don't have a good sense of what that game like how that game is different from the yeah. other ones like what that game is since it's been so long since the other two like I and it's made by a totally different team I want them to make a bigger pitch so I understand it's like is this the exact same thing as those old games 
is it just using the name of those old games? I just want them to like clarify what the fuck the game actually is. Yeah. Um, I would love it to be good, so I yes, agree. Uh, me too. Here was the most surprising announcement of the entire Direct to me, is Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice is getting a Switch port. I don't know how faithful the video they showed in the Direct is to the final Switch version, but it looked... It looked good, yeah. It looked good. That game is one of the more graphically, like, in, um, I think... Accomplished games of this entire generation yeah. It's wild That would be one of the heaviest games To get on the Switch So I'm fascinated by that I'm yeah. also fascinated It seems like it's not a game that lends itself to Switch super well Like I can't imagine taking that game onto a train <laughs> yeah, And try and enjoying it Yeah with like, like the sound design so It's like you just have a fucking nervous breakdown on the bus Yeah like, hearing voices Like you gotta play that game in at home in the dark or something You can't yeah, play yeah. it in like 20 minute segments on the go No I mean I'm glad it's coming to Switch Just because more people will get to experience it And it is one of the best games I think of this generation Yeah But uh, various, I would never have guessed in a million years That was yeah. coming to Switch Because it's, it's also weird because Fucking Microsoft bought that studio yeah. So it's like obviously this must have been in the works Before that happened But it's just like One of those weird things like Oh yeah yeah. Well, Microsoft and Nintendo are very simpatico they're, these days. They're playing yeah, I, I don't know if they're so simpatico that it's like we're going to share first-party titles. Yeah, but they might sell more of that game on Switch than they did on <laughs> Xbox One. <laughs> they probably will. They probably will. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for this kind of thing, I could see... I think there's a future where Microsoft maybe starts having some things like this branching out a little more. Like some of their more experiments and things. Because they are doing that whole thing where they're going to have an Xbox Live app on Switch mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, like, I assume this game, well, you can get Xbox achievements on. I would that assume might be coming. that. Okay. I would not assume that. Just because this game was made before okay, that's a good point. Ninja yeah. Theory was bought by... So, it's not a Microsoft game. That's true. But, it, but Microsoft bought the studio in between the release of that yeah. game and the release of this port. So, it's just one of those things that's like, oh, right, yeah, like... It's the same thing with um, Obsidian in their The Outer Worlds RPG. That's true, RPG. Yeah. Like, that's... While Microsoft now owns Obsidian, that game was so far in development that it's not an Xbox exclusive. Okay. Good point. Mortal Kombat 11 is coming to Switch, day and date, with the other versions. Yeah, Did we I, know I, that? Um, I don't know if we knew day and date. I think they had said that the Switch version was coming out. Okay. I just was hoping... That when they would show a trailer for Mortal Kombat 11, that would be the same trailer they've shown. And it's just like, oh, this dude's face fucking gets cut off. And he gets, like, splayed in half and his brain goes flying across I thought, the street. I thought what we were going to say is that they cut out all the blood. Like they did with Mortal yes. Kombat way back on yeah, the Super, on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you have to put in the fucking code at the beginning. But yeah, they, they showed a very Nintendo Mortal Kombat trailer. And there'll be his fucking tongue getting cut off and, like, shoved in their eye socket or something. <laughs> Bullshit, you know? Unravel 2 is getting a port uh, on March 22nd. Reminded me that that game existed. Me too. <laughs> Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon, one of the mini Final Fantasies coming to Switch, is coming March 20th. That's the one that like was a cult classic from Japan but never got localized, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, There's that the Mystery Dungeon thing is a whole big right. franchise that has, there's like Pokemon versions of it. I think yep. it originally was a spinoff of Dragon Quest. He's Toroneko yeah. or whatever. Is... Yes, because Mystery Dungeon, there was a, I think it was a Game Boy spinoff of Dragon Quest. Yeah. Is where it started. Uh, the Pokemon ones are good. I've, I've played some of those in the past. Uh, that's coming March 20th. Uh, and then this was the big thing we kind of knew was coming but hadn't been confirmed. Earlier this week we learned that Ubisoft is doing Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered for PS4 and Xbox One. It is also coming to Switch on May 21st. And it will be the entire Assassin's Creed 3 game, all the DLC, and the Vita game Liberation. Okay. All in one package. 
Um, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you about this in general, Sean, not just for Switch, but what do yeah. you think about uh, Ubisoft doing Assassin's Creed 3 as one of the remasters? Um, I hope it means that people go back to that game and be like, it's not as bad as... as like, it's not an amazing game. Like, I don't think... You know, I don't think most of the Assassin's Creed games from that period are amazing, but people chat on that game in a way that, to be fair, I came back to it several years after it came out, so didn't have, like, the expectations leading into it, but when I replayed it after, because I think it was, like, a PS Plus game, I'm pretty sure is how I played it, or, like, Xbox Gold, games with gold on the 360, um, like, I really enjoyed it quite a bit and think it is, accepting the very terrible ending, which was them just feeling like they had to fucking excise... The, or exorcise and get the demon out of Assassin's Creed as soon as possible, the process that they're still undergoing with trying to fix that the fucking narrative in those games. Um, they're like the overall meta-narrative. That ending component in Assassin's Creed 3 is really bad. I think the rest of the story of that game is easily one of the best Assassin's Creed stories. It's one of the most competent. I've um, always wanted to give it a try because it seems like it's one of the most close in spirit to Assassin's Creed 4, which is the one I love so much. Yeah, because that's where they introduced the um, sailing. It's a side mission kind of thing in that game, but it's still very cool. Yeah, and, and I might give it a try on Switch. It's not a full $60 dollar. Um, it's got all that extra content. Liberation is one a lot of people like. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I think that's cool that it's coming. Uh, because you might remember, Assassin's Creed 3 was also a launch game for the Wii U. Yes. It did not work. Uh, it feels like this will be a nice redemption. Because that could be a fun game for, yeah. for the Switch, I think, to, to take out on the go. It, yeah, it, it would be very funny, though, if it's still, if like it just ran like the Wii U one. It's just like, yeah, we just put the Wii U version on here. It didn't fix up the frame rate or anything. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. All right. It's weird. Now we get into the good shit, Sean. Mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Builders 2 yeah. is coming July 12th. That is also the day it'll get on PS4, because it's also a PS4 game. Um, it looks so good. And I have to read you Square's official plot synopsis, because it is so great. I mean, to recap, Dragon Quest Builders 1, the plot is it starts at the end of the original Dragon Quest where you meet the Dragon King, and he says, hey, instead of fighting, I'll give you half my kingdom. And you can just agree, and the game ends, or you can fight him and, and beat the game. Um, and it starts from the like alternate ending where you say, like, yeah, I'll take half the kingdom. In fact, yeah, let's rule the world together as like evil overlords, and then I think the Dragon King kills you if you do that. Well, what he does is he gives you the bad half of the kingdom. Yeah. He like, de- like, Part of it like dies and decays, and he gives you that. And this picks up like... You know, decades later, and all of the people of Alephgard have forgotten how to build. And you are the legendary builder who will restore the kingdom with the powers of building. Yeah, which again, when you say they've forgotten how to build, it's literally like you run into a person wearing rags, and you like put a stick and a rock together to make a fucking axe, and they're like, what the fuck did you just do? Did you just... Use two different things to make a new thing of those two things. What is this? It's just like you put logs, stack logs up together and make a wall. It's like, what the fuck is that? A wall? What the fuck is a wall? What do you mean? What's, I don't, how did you, there was something that wasn't here before and now you put things and there's a new thing here. What is that? It's, it's like the first 30 minutes of that game and it's some of the hardest I've ever laughed playing a video game. It's so good and it goes through the whole game and that game actually, Dragon Quest Builders 1, the climax is actually, or part of it, is meeting the hero of the original Dragon Quest, Shit. who is like ensconced in his tower of misery. <laughs> it's so good. And Dragon Quest Builders 2 continues in terms of building off the lore of the existing series with these twists. Because here's the plot. 
So this is quoting from Square's press release. The evil children of Hargon are determined to eradicate all all creators and have outlawed the building, cooking, and creation of all things. In an attempt to spread their destructive dogma, the calamitous cult captures the builders of the world. All hope seems to be lost until you, a young apprentice builder, manage to escape from the clutches of evil. After washing up on the shores of the deserted Isle of Awakening, you encounter the spirited Malroth, a mysterious youth with no memory of his past. With the help of your fearless new friend, you embark on a grand adventure to gather the skills required to become a full-fledged builder. But the road you build is paved with peril. Only you can (laughs) defeat the children of Hargon, uncover the secrets of Malroth's past, and unravel the riddles of this mysterious land. And I gotta say, if you are not sold on this fucking game after those two paragraphs, I don't know what to do for you. Yeah, the road you build is filled with peril is an amazing fucking sentence for this game. Again, Dragon Quest Builders is one of the best JRPGs I've ever played. This one looks even better. You are fucking playing it, Sean. Yes, we are no, talking about yeah, it. 100%. Like, the only reason I never played Dragon Quest Builders 1 all the way through, because I've played the demo. I played a lot of that demo because it was a big, meaty demo. But I only never played it just because it got so far away from me that I was like, might as well wait for the sequel yeah. instead. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, I think you would like this, Thomas. Yeah, definitely planning on playing this one. Um, You've been so into Dragon Quest lately. I'm trying, <laughs> looking forward to some other stuff with it, too. Yes, I'm glad I can have another Dragon Quest in my top ten this year. <laughs> All right. Speaking of which, uh-huh. they also gave our big... like This has been announced in Japan, but we got even more details here, which is Dragon Quest XI-S... Definitive Edition, which Echoes is Echoes of an Elusive Age. Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition, which I is... also... I, I feel like we should pronounce it Dragon Quest XI's. Yes. Like, like Dragon Ball Fighters. Okay. Dragon Quest XI's, which is the Switch port remake of Dragon Quest XI. It is coming to the West in fall... And I think worldwide, actually. Fall 2019. Here is some of the things they're adding. I do not have a full list. Japanese voice acting, uh-huh. an orchestral soundtrack, but you can also toggle back to the original MIDI soundtrack, the 16-bit graphic style that was exclusive to the Japanese-exclusive 3DS version, also toggleable, which it was not in the 3DS version. You had to choose one or the other. Right. Um, new story content, which they say they have new content for all of the party characters, of which there are seven. We'll just be sneaky. Oh, There's oh, seven. Oh, oh. Um, you can optionally increase the battle speed of the game... And more. This sounds like truly definitive. It sounds like Persona 4 Golden uh, or something like that. Where what they are adding is transformative and it would be hard to go back to the original. And I think before I heard all of this, this sounded like, you know, I was happy Switch owners would get this game, but I didn't necessarily need to buy it again. I will be buying this again for Switch and playing it again because that is a lot of stuff. And we also got to hear some of the Japanese voice acting, and it's mm-hmm. fucking good. Yeah, no, I, the the voice for Camus, your blue-haired buddy, um, is very good. I don't remember who the Japanese voice actor is, but it's like, it's the exact voice that when I was playing the game, I'm like, when they cast this dude, it's going to be that dude, and it was that dude. Um, Gintoki, or Tomokazu Sugito, who plays Gintoki and Gintama, is also in the game. I think he plays the guy um, who helps you out in the like tournament. Yeah, because they, they released like the name of all the voice cast. Because remember, this is the first time a mainline Dragon Quest game has had any voice acting in Japan, so they're taking this seriously. Yeah, so they're doing they're doing the full thing. It's a good cast, and you haven't played it yet, Thomas. So I know you're kind of excited for this version. Yeah, that's what I was alluding to when we were talking about builders. I'm yeah. really looking forward to this. Actually, it's like yeah. I. And you'll get to experience in Japan the national chaos that ensues when a Dragon <laughs> Quest game comes yeah. out. 
Yeah, no, looking forward to that since there's no Persona game this year. So are you going to get the English version of Dragon Quest XI's? Probably, because uh-huh. it has the Japanese voice acting. Yes, so you're going to have to deal with then all the subtitles saying shit like Eric and some other bullshit, and then all the characters saying Camus and, and Senya I... and Greg. If yeah. I can magically become fluent enough by the time this comes out, sure, I'll get it in Japanese. Yeah, it, it only adds like a fucking 30 hours to the play clock. It's not a big deal. <laughs> all right. Fire Emblem Three Houses, the new Fire Emblem game, got a uh, big showcase at this direct. They showed us more details on the story, gameplay, etc. First and foremost, it looks amazing, yeah, as in visually, incredible. like, they have... This is not, like, the 3DS version with nicer graphics. It is... They, they rebuilt this series from the ground up. Because this is the first time it's been on a console since the Wii. Yeah. And the Wii was basically a GameCube with higher clock speeds. So, since the GameCube... Uh, it it looks amazing. The animated cutscenes look like movie quality. Yeah, I think they might actually have been animated by Polygon Pictures because it looks like a Polygon Pictures movie. Yeah, while you're looking that up, uh, I'll tell you about the story. It's about a group of students at a school. Uh, Your player-created character is the leader of the school. There's intrigue among three kingdoms, but the twist is that these kingdoms are not at war, at least at the beginning of this game, which is usually how Fire Emblem works. Otherwise, it honestly, it looks to me like a bit of a back-to-basics for Fire Emblem after, I think, Fates really... Fates is good, but it, it really did a different kind of expansion for the series. This does have, like, branching paths and stuff, but it, they're not selling three different versions of the game. Um, it, it does not look like they're having the weird convoluted system where you have children, which worked in Awakening, but then they tried to graft it onto Fates, and it didn't work at all. Um, it looks really cool. They're also bringing in some of the stuff from Echoes, which was the remake of Fire Emblem Gaiden that was on 3DS. Uh, this is one of the games I'm most excited for this year. Obviously, I love Fire Emblem. They have a very sweet special edition coming out with a soundtrack and an art book and all this shit. A, a, um, a steel book. I already have it pre-ordered. It's coming July 26th. And my theory is it is coming out July 26th because that is almost to the day the when Octopath Traveler came out last year uh-huh. and was a massive unexpected hit. Yeah. So I think that is just now JRPG time for Nintendo. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm so excited. And Thomas, you're into Fire Emblem now. Yeah, very recently I uh, played Fire Emblem Awakening. I got it for you for Christmas. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. I, I grinded way too much and uh, the end of the game was super easy. See, now you have to go back and play the real shit, like the Fire Emblem on GBA with Lin in it, and where you can't, you can't fucking grind in that shit. Yeah. You just go. I do have that on 3DS, so. Well, you have the Sacred Stones, which is Is the sequel. Yeah, you can grind. No, you can grind in that one, because there's like. Not as much as in the modern games, but yeah. Yeah, no, you gotta do the original fucking, like, nope, it's just here, this chapter, and you beat that chapter, and you move on, and there's no optional bullshit, like, you go until you have fucked yourself so hard you cannot finish the game. Or Fire Emblem Fates Conquest does the same thing as the GBA, so you could do that yeah. one, and it's really good. But anyway, yeah, but that doesn't have Lindis in it. It does not. Um, but anyway, yes. So new Fire Emblem on Switch, and again, like the scale that they're doing in the battles in this game looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Like it looks like they've taken some visual cues from the Warriors game they did. Uh, you doesn't play like that, but like there are armies on the field, and yeah. it's it's cool. I'm excited. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's it's one of the things that has been kind of frustrating about the handheld console split with Nintendo is those franchises that were, you know, trapped is a bad word because they worked really well on handheld, but you always want to, like with Pokemon, you want to see, it's like, what if you just put your, instead of like some bullshit other like weird spinoff game or something, just put your full effort on a proper game of this franchise on an actual console. 
Um, yeah, yeah I, Fire Emblem, it looks like this is going to benefit from that a lot. It, it made me think of Pokemon because I was thinking, like, I hope, and I think it's a very real possibility, that the Pokemon company takes this chance to do as big a leap for Pokemon as yeah. Fire Emblem is taking for itself. Um, and, you know, if you look at the last couple of generations of Pokemon, I think the Pokemon company has wanted to do that. Like, if you look at Black and White and X and Y and Sun and Moon, they've had a lot of, like, complex camera movements and big cities and things where they're clearly pushing against the edge of the technology or, like, the color stuff in Sun and Moon with the sunsets. And I really hope they just, they run free because that feels yeah. like that's what the Fire Emblem people are doing and it's glorious. We are also getting this year... Astral Chain, which is a new Platinum Games exclusive. Um, it's got people like Masakazu Katsura on character designs, uh, Hideki Kamiya from Bayonetta designing, and Takashi Taura on, uh, from Nier, Nier Automata on development. I think he's directing. I think he was technically like the director of Nier Automata. We all know Yoko Taro, but... Yeah, um, he was like the design director. Right. Yeah, yeah. so clearly a, a all-star like design lineup. Looks pretty rad. It was a cool trailer. It's coming August 30th, 2019. And uh, that looks like it will be worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, yeah, it seemed interesting. It was hard to get like a full sense of what that game is going to be like because it, yeah. it was just like very weird. But weird is Pl- good. Platinum Games has a lot in the pipeline right now because they've yes. got this. They've got the thing we learned about last, like recently. That's yeah, for the Square Enix E three one. Yeah, that's for other consoles. And then they are reminded us of this direct. Bayonetta three is still in the works. Yeah. They just couldn't show it yet. Bayonetta three, another one of those games. They were like, surely they're going. They haven't talked about that game fucking since ever since they announced it. And surely we're going to finally see something of that game at this direct. It's like no, but we got something else that looks cool. So absolutely. Um, all right, and they ended that. We're going to go one other thing after this, but they ended the direct. With the surprise announcement of The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening getting a remake. I think they showed it off in about the most perfect way possible. Where they did like what is apparently the opening anime cutscene. Which is a fairly faithful recreation of the Game Boy Color cutscene. But in a beautiful anime art style. And then we saw a little bit of the game. And, you know, look, Link's Awakening is one of the best games ever made. I'm not 100% sold on the art style of this game yet. But I am willing to be sold on it. It's coming this year, 2019. And I'm just... I'm happy this game is getting another day in the sun. Because not enough people have played it. Especially, I think, in in this day and age. Yeah. I never finished Link's Awakening. But I had Link's Awakening DX on the Mm -hmm. Game Boy Color. And it's one of those funny things about... Like memory with that kind of stuff is that I remembered that when you booted up the game, it plays a cutscene of Link trapped on the ship and all this stuff. So they were showing that it's like, oh, they must have touched up that cutscene. And then I thought for a second, it's like, oh wait, no, that was on the Game Boy. It was like still images that like shook up and down. Like it was not an animated cutscene the way that we think of that today. Um, but yeah, like the main thing about it for me is is that art style was not like I, part of it is just like it was so not what I was expecting that I don't know how I feel about it. But specifically, the Link model looks weird to me. Like, that's like the... I'm fine with the, like, clay diorama look. I think could work. But some of the character models just don't capture, I think... They they don't fully embody the aesthetic that it feels like the game is going for. If that makes sense. I get that. I mean, my first reaction was Link looks like a Funko Pop. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to be mean. And and also, again, this was like 30 seconds of footage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Um... But Link's Awakening for me is a game. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the best games ever made. I I think it's one of my favorite works of art on the subject of dreaming. 
and I because again it is not a spoiler yeah. to tell the plot of Link's Awakening it's it's telegraphed to you in the game very heavily it's like a David Lynch movie yeah it is I mean it was inspired by Twin Peaks in no small part um, the the developers have said that and you know I think the Link's Awakening aesthetic on the Game Boy and even some of the control limitations and the way the DX version uses color. It's not just about technical limitations. I think the technical limitations and the art style and the themes they were going for are all very tied in together. Link's Awakening, if they made it today, would not exist thematically the way it does if they had untapped potential. So I think the things that Link's Awakening imbues to the player, remaking it from the ground up is going to be tough to... It cannot be captured in the exact same way, which is fine. It means you have to capture it in a different way. I do like that clearly they're thinking about that in this remake. Yeah. Like this art style is clearly an attempt to be like, what can we do with modern HD graphics to try to conjure some kind of sense of a dreamlike, surreal atmosphere? I just need to see more of it before I'm completely sold on it. But there are other little things. Like clearly you're not going to have to use just two buttons for power-ups yeah. and equipment. Um, the screen fully just scrolls. It does not do the original Zelda thing of boxes that move you know mm-hmm. screen to screen um the music sounds beautiful there's that little lick of the song at the end and it's gorgeous so i'm really curious about this one it's exciting you know if it's faithful and it's good and the art style works it's going to be one of the best games this year i mean if they really wanted to sell people on this remake though they should they just needed to show that where like link going into the shop and like stealing the shield behind the shopkeeper's back and running out and then you go back in and he just hits you with like a fucking death ray and kills you Yes, this is the best part of that the, game. Thomas, you are the Legend of Zelda super fan here. Yeah, um, th- this is probably one of the good reasons that I'm not on this podcast that much. I know I'm going to play this game, so I almost don't see any point in me looking into it too much more. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's yeah, totally it's fair. like you're like, oh, they're putting out another Zelda game. Okay, I'm good. Like, yeah, like, like you just walked away. But the, honestly, the thing that made me the most excited from the trailer was the little snippet of the song at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, just because. As much as in any other Zelda game, the music actually connects to the story in a really big way. Yeah. It's diegetic. I mean, it's really important. Yeah. It's a precursor to Ocarina of Time because a lot of the... I think people don't realize how much of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask is inspired by Link's Awakening. Because yeah. Majora's mm-hmm. Mask, all the dreamlike, surreal stuff. Ocarina of Time, the basic Ocarina system, there is an Ocarina in Link's Awakening. Well, it was in Link to the Past, yeah. Oh, right. But, like, the idea of music becoming, like, a very diegetic element to the story, yeah. I feel like that's something they did on Link's Awakening and then built on top of. For, yeah. For yeah. And then they got to Majora's Mask and shat all over it. <laughs> Thomas is the... Is the, the Goron Lullaby is the worst fucking song ever, and you got to spend, like, three hours fucking hunting down the three different parts of the fucking lullaby, yeah, and it's, I a, never it's even... a bad song, and most of the songs in, in Majora's Mask are bad, anyway. I never even got to that point. I like the... The Clock Town song. In no, the 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 music is good. The uh, Ocarina okay. songs you play, with yes. the exception of Oath to Order and um, uh, Song of Healing, are not good in that game. Anyway, yeah. that's. I mean, I think the Majora's Mask soundtrack overall, like even like the the non diegetic music, is also just one of the weaker. Yeah, like you have to Great Bay, and it's just like these low drones. And yeah, it's like okay, I guess it's dreary, but. Yeah, you can do something, something more here, with please. it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for agreeing with me. No. No one online thinks that Majora's Mask isn't perfect. If, if you if you want to come on this podcast and diss Majora's Mask, I am 100% here with you. I like that game. 
I think people blow that game out of proportion. It's funny because I, like, by default here, have to play the role of the Majora's Mask Kipster. I'm not fully a Majora's Mask Kipster. I think it's the worst 3D Zelda. The thing is, though, it's not... You, you were Ocarina of Time hipsters. Majora's Mask is not the hipster opinion. Majora's Mask is like the default, like new opinion is like no. Majora's well, Mask but, is so no, fucking the, rad. The, yeah, it's so dark and shit, man. Exactly. That's why people think it's good. Yeah, because it's like edgy and later. like I'm a fucking teen, and it's like yeah. Ocarina of Time has heart and soul and earnestness, and it's not into your fucking dark bullshit. It's like have some joy in your life, assholes. And if you want to play a darker Zelda game that's actually fun to play, you could play Twilight Princess. Well, no, that's not... That's, You're wrong about this. I mean, Twilight Princess... I mean, yeah, if you want to fucking spend five hours of your life wasting away fucking as a wolf at the beginning of that goddamn game, yeah, you can Look, do that. Look, if you can't find the fucking tears, that's your problem. It's, you know, maybe you don't fucking put so many of those tears in the game that when you have to remake it, you have to cut half the fucking things out. All right, moving on to our remaining listeners of the <laughs> Weekly Stuff Podcast... <laughs> The other crazy thing is that Nintendo launched a crap ton of stuff on the eShop the day yeah. of this Direct. You know, usually it's become popular to do, like, one soft launch when you do one of these, like, big press events, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One or two. They did five. So let's talk about the five, three of which are free. One, they did the Yoshi's Crafted World, got a demo. Uh, Yoshi's Crafted World looks like a good game. Now that I've played the demo, both myself and in co-op with Thomas... Where you can ride on each other's backs as Yoshi's. You can like jump on the other Yoshi's back. And then you can like fire eggs from Yoshi's back. It's very funny. That seems wrong. That seems like incestuous in some way that I'm not into. But it's like, no, it's like, you know, I'm usually pretty socially liberal. But I think you did one Mario and one Yoshi. Thank you very much. That's like the proper pairing. I think that's what the Bible talks about, right? Okay. Uh, Anyway, it's really, it's a great demo. This has gone from a probably play to an absolute must play to me. The demo is jaw-droppingly gorgeous. It's it's like Yoshi's Woolly World, but a step up even where, or a, a Paper Mario Color Splash on Wii U, where it looks like you're looking at like photographs of things that they built out of crafted materials. The level of detail is crazy. Uh, that one level is also just really fun. It's it's Yoshi's Island gameplay, but with a little more exploration. There's these 3D elements. I would not be surprised if this game actually started life as a 3DS game because it's got like multiple layers of depth you have to go into. You can now fire the eggs in multiple directions and you control where they're going to go. It's not just that thing where the arc goes up and down and you have to stop it at the right time. Uh, the music is great. This, this game looks like something really special and worth the wait because this is one of those ones that was at the first ever Switch reveal and then got delayed for like two years. Yes, yeah. yeah. That was, it was this in Kirby. And yeah. they're like, we're making Kirby and we're making Yoshi. And eventually we'll give those games actual titles. Yes. So Yoshi's Crafted World is coming in March. That demo is fun. You should download it. Damon X Machina also got a demo. Um, this one is harder to pin down because it's not as like clear-cut a genre exercise as like a Yoshi game. Right. Um, it's a mech game, but mech games can be a lot of different things. It looks... Gorgeous, I have to say. It's got an amazing art style. It runs very well, other than some loading time issues, which I assume that's like the last thing you're going to smooth down in a game like this, and it's got months to go. Uh, I'm not sure about the gameplay. I would have to play more of it. It felt a little 
like there wasn't enough weight to the mechs for me. Mm-hmm. But it is it's really cool. It's very different. It's a neat limb that Nintendo's it's not a Nintendo game, but that they're going out on for publishing this as a first as a as an exclusive. Uh, and I've seen some people online really loving it. So yeah. definitely get the demo. It's it's cool. You got the demo, did you play it yet, Thomas? I have not started it yet. Okay. But I will. <laughs> yeah. It's it's neat. And if nothing else, it is a joy to look at. It kind of looks like I mean, it looks like a an anime in three dimensions. It also kind of made me think of it's like a it's like if Wind Waker were a three dimensional kind of mech thing. It's got that kind of like very cartoony style to it when things explode. It's very oh, okay. stylized. It looks cool. You're cool. Yeah, I like um, mechs. Yes, and then this was one of the big surprises is they put out a game for free called Tetris Ninety Nine, right? Yeah, I forgot which about is this. a Tetris battle royale game. Where you fight 98 other people, all playing Tetris, all their boards are on screen for you to see, and whoever is the last one standing wins. It is literal Tetris Battle Royale. I have not won it yet. I've gotten to second place, I've gotten to third place, I've gotten to fourth place, but somehow Thomas has gotten first place. I have won it, and this is actually something... I'm very jealous. Jonathan is way better at Tetris than me. Like, I'm not great at Tetris. Like, I could never do marathon mode, but I am good at, like, not being ambitious, I'm trying to clear all the blocks. I am bad at competitive Tetris because my instinct is to build and get Tetrises, which is not necessarily the best strategy when 98 other people are coming for you. Like yesterday sometime you were trying to get like a triple Tetris and you had it lined up and it was like, there are six people targeting you right now. You're going to lose immediately. Yeah, you clear one Tetris at a time. Like just you build up four and then you clear it and then you move on with your life. Also, when you attack someone else with a Tetris... All they need is one light blue block, and they can clear it with a Tetris and That's get true. you back for it. Yeah, but it is a as a free to play game, and it's well free to play if you have Nintendo Switch Online. It's yeah, like a yeah. bonus for online members. It's a great little thing they put out. It's a really cool game. Data miners have already found that there are plans to apparently add like a full marathon mode and other things to it. Have the data miners figured out what badges means? There's 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 no <laughs> tutorial. Badges is you put those together by giving other people Tetrises, basically. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's a really cool little thing they did, and apparently a complete Nintendo exclusive right now. But I love it. I love we're in like a Tetris golden age. Like it finally got wrenched away from EA, yeah. and now Tetris is yeah. good again. Because remember when EA had it and they put out those terrible mobile ports? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah, Tetris just gets like. The license, I feel like, just gets passed around, and, and you, yeah, we have these like waxing and waning eras of Tetris, where it's like, oh, like someone competent has the Tetris license, and all these cool Tetris games come out, and then for the longest time, it's been passed around because I think Ubisoft has had it for a little bit, EA had it, just like done fucking shit with it. Yeah, there's lots of bad mobile ports. There was some Tetris game that came out on the PS4 like early on, like, like 2014 or something. That was just bad. Because now we have Puyo Puyo Tetris, PS4 and Switch. Yeah. We have Tetris Effect, which is PS4, and we have Tetris 99, which is Switch, which are all new, different, fun takes on Tetris, but that also give you the core Tetris experience. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. All right. All right. We also got Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, the port for Switch, is getting a special episode DLC. It costs $5.99, so a very cheap DLC pack, but it is an entire new... um, episode of Captain Toad and if you've never played Captain Toad the game is split into I think it's three or four like books which each have like 
18 to 20 levels or something in them and when you beat one you go to the next one in the main game this is just a new extra book of levels they've given to you if you buy it now you get one of those levels now the rest are coming march 14th uh the level that was there is really nice um but playing one captain toad level at a time is a weird thing yeah because those are pretty short yeah. right because they're like little dioramas yeah. as you move through right so this is just like a little tease they gave you but i did 599 is actually very generous for the amount of content they're giving um there's going to be more super mario odyssey themed levels um in this in this dlc there were a couple in the in the base game so that's gonna be cool to have and i just i love that they're not giving up on captain toad treasure tracker because that's a special little game and uh, i'm very happy there's more they also added as free uh dlc through an update a full two-player co-op mode for captain toad which you can play now thomas and i tried it one player is toad one is toadette and you move around and you can control the camera together. And it's actually, it's a little chaotic as these kind of things are, but it's very fun. It's totally unnecessary, but it is fun. Yeah, it's and really as a fun. free update, I mean, that's substantial. So yeah, I like yeah. that. Cool. Yeah. And finally, they also launched Final Fantasy IX. They've been promising a lot of Final Fantasy games to us. IX launched day of the, the, the Direct on the eShop. It was $20. I bought it. I'll play it at some point because I've always wanted to play that one. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII is coming this time in March. I think it's like March 26th. Uh, and then 10, 10, 2, and 12 are all coming in April. The Chocobo thing is coming, I think, in March. Uh, and then they still have to date the Crystal Chronicles remake, which is also coming to PS4. Yeah. And, and if you one. like Final Fantasy VIII, you can go fuck yourself. I like that this is the like 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy VIII this week. And eight is nowhere to be seen. It's not on PS4. It's not on PC. It's not on Switch. It's not even being fucking mentioned. Yeah. Even the characters from eight who were in Kingdom Hearts were not in Kingdom Hearts three. Yeah, they're embarrassed of that game, and probably rightly so, because yeah. it's got a Nobu Uematsu score, and it's good. But other than that, yeah, you know, it's, you, 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 Squall has his Gunblade. Renoa's in it. Yeah, they. Squall, Squall dies at the end of the first CD and that's the real plot of that game that's everything I know Squall dies? no he doesn't but, no. but there's a whole conspiracy theory he gets impaled by a giant ice shard from like the sorceress or whatever the fuck is the villain of that game at the end of the first CD and everyone's like and, the re- and then from that point on the game goes fucking insane and so everyone's like oh of course the, the real plot of this game is that Squall is like having some like you know hallucination as he's slowly dying and that's why everything else about the plot of this game makes no sense and is terrible and that's there's a whole website google squall dies and you waste two hours of your life like i did i'll check it out sometime all right any other final thoughts on this fairly jam-packed for a february direct nintendo direct it was another nintendo direct that was better than their e3 direct (laughs) this is true i mean i'm very curious when other things are going to get announced because they still have animal crossing on the docket I don't know when they're planning on that one. If they wait all the way until E3 to do more Animal Crossing, then that game's not coming out until August, I would assume. Yeah. Maybe that's an August or September game, and then Pokemon is almost certainly November, because Pokemon is always November. Mm-hmm. Pokemon, I'm sure, will get a big focus at E3. Like, if E3, E3 will probably be primarily Animal Crossing and Pokemon. Yeah, that's my guess as well. Um, but we'll see. I, I There's also probably still some surprises to go. I mean, we're going to see more of Link's Awakening. There could be more games unannounced. They already have a very jam-packed 2019, so I'm curious to see what else Nintendo will have for us this year. But, yeah, uh, interesting interesting event. Yeah. yeah. Right. I was looking forward to seeing some Joker gameplay, but... We'll get it. We'll get it eventually. We'll get it later. Yeah. And maybe when they do that, they'll tell us something about Animal Crossing. Yeah, maybe, no. then maybe when they'll do that, they'll get their fucking shit together and put Goku in that fucking game. 
I don't know if we've talked about this. The the rumors, which are like so well backed up that they're almost not even rumors, is that the next DLC character will be Erdrick slash Loto from Dragon Age right, Quest, yeah. um, which would make sense given all the Dragon Quest stuff coming to Switch. I love that that might be in Smash Bros. That's yeah. going to be really cool. All right, put Goku in that game though. <laughs> Any other news we want to talk about this week? I th- I don't think so. All right, so Thomas. You are here to tell tell us about Kingdom Hearts three. Yes. So um, let's back up a little bit, Sean. Your experience with Kingdom Hearts is playing it at a friend's house and then getting bored and leaving. Yes. You know, I walked away from that game. Yeah. My experience is I couldn't leave the house where someone was playing Kingdom Hearts because I lived there, and Thomas and I shared a room at the time when we were kids, and so yeah. When did the first game come out? Oh, oh two. Oh two. Yeah, you would have I, been yeah, like, I didn't play it right when it came out, but I played it at least a few years before 2 came out. Yeah, so you were 7 or 8 when Kingdom Hearts started. So I've seen you play most of Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, so I know those games kind of by osmosis. And then I've followed up with you over the years on the rest of them because they fascinate me. But you're the Kingdom Hearts super fan here, so tell us about your history with the series. Well, I just want to say, a lot of people, it seems like, enjoy Kingdom Hearts ironically. Like, they think it's kind of funny how the, the you know, Donald and Goofy are there. And it is. Um, I but... think there's a lot of outsiders who enjoy it, ironically. Yeah, I... I... The people who like Kingdom Hearts like Kingdom Hearts earnestly. I agree. People like I... me that look in from the outside and go, why are there, like, five different Soras that's, like, this version of Sora's memory broke off and looks like Kyrie and it's, like, fucking... It's, like, I don't know. That's us. That's not weird, but we're not Kingdom Hearts people. We're not well, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I just want to say, I, I, honestly, earnestly, I really, really love this franchise, um, and it's really difficult to describe why, but I think basically just because I played it when I was so little, and those themes have always like resonated with me, and they're not complicated themes. It's just like friends are good, basically. <laughs> friends are good. Um, you know, yeah. if you're... it's the same as My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. Yeah. yeah. Much. It wasn't until much more recently that I figured out the significance of. Sora and Kyrie's names. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. They're actually yeah. Riku, yeah. Yeah, Riku too, but he's less interesting now. Anyway, um He's the Sasuke of Kingdom Hearts. That's the most that I know. Yeah. Um so Kingdom Hearts 2 um I actually still think is a really incredible game too. Um I replayed it in January sort of in preparation for 3. Um Kingdom Hearts 2 having originally released in 2005. 2005 in Japan, 2006 in North America. Long fucking time ago. Yeah, long time ago. Um and while we haven't been George waiting... W Bush was still popular. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, he had just won his re-election. Yeah. Um so I mean it hasn't been 13 years since a Kingdom Hearts game has come out, but I would like to point out that um 358 days over 2 on the DS, Birth by Sleep on the PSP, Coded on mobile phones and uh, Dream Drop Distance on 3DS all came out within six years because those were all out by 2012. Yes. So it's actually been like seven years since a new Kingdom Hearts game has actually come out. Yeah, because they've released um, all these like remixes and prologue yeah. bullshit like for the games that already existed. But that's all. Any was there new stuff? Because I felt like there were like movies there was, they there was stuff. well there was I, the one I didn't mention was Union. Cross or Union Key back cover. Um, I'm not actually sure what the game is called, 
but it's um, not that's not on the Wikipedia timeline of release years, so I don't. I don't know it wasn't means. released all at once either, so I don't know. But if those cutscenes were on the two point eight disc, okay. the final chapter prologue. Yes, so to speak. Kingdom Hearts two point eight final chapter. Prologue. Yeah, and more significantly on that disc was zero point two Birth by Sleep, which was actually sort of well, it actually wasn't a prologue to three is, at all. But is zero point two Birth by Sleep? different than the game Birth by Sleep. Yes, because Birth by Sleep was on the 2.5 disc. <laughs> okay, and that was originally a PSP game, correct? Yeah, and yes, and yeah, so 0.2 was um, basically you play as Aqua, who's a Birth by Sleep character, yes, and it just this. explores some of the things that she's been doing for the past decade. Okay. And that 0.2 is the 0.2 that completes the mathematic equation of 2.8 plus 0.2, which equals Kingdom Hearts 3. Yes, and then Kingdom Hearts 4 is, of course... 1.5 yes. plus 2.5. Exactly, which we all know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all that stuff aside, I, I, I wanted to mention all that stuff because I think actually having played or more or less kept up with all of those games and their stories for the past 20 years-ish... Um, We're getting actually, towards it. We're getting close. Yes, Kingdom Hearts yeah, 1 came out in 2002. Awesome. I was yeah. 10 years old and my friend got it for his birthday at the Apex Water Park. And then after that we went to his house. <laughs> And I, when we got off that fucking island, I'm like, I'm good. Why are a lot of the Final Fantasy X characters children and on this island? And it makes me feel uncomfortable. It is, it is weird. Like, what's um, little baby Waka doing here? Get me out of this. He, he's weird, yeah. Um, just having played all those games, though, I actually... I'm really invested in the story that was sort of supposed to be resolved in 3. Um, and for the most part, actually, I think they did a decent job wrapping everything up. Decent, but not entirely satisfying. Um, so before I get into some of the stuff that I think is the weak points of the game, I do want to mention, um, first off, the gameplay in this game is really fantastic, actually. Um, there are a ton of different battle elements um, that are always really fun, with a couple of exceptions. Um, well, with as many different styles as Kingdom yeah. Hearts takes on, it's going to have to be a little hit or miss. Yeah, That yeah. feels like, you know, you're never going to get 100% on... All the crazy things they do. I'm gonna I'm gonna forget if I don't mention this now. There's uh, there's some underwater combat in the game in the parts of the Caribbean world. Well, that's always great in every video game when there's a single section that is underwater. Yeah. And here's the thing: in Kingdom Hearts One, you go to um, Ariel's world, yeah, Atlantica, yeah, um, and it's underwater combat and it fucking sucks. And then in Kingdom Hearts Two, they put Atlantica back in the game, but it's just a rhythm game. <laughs> So there's okay. no combat. So they I think I've seen that. But they figured YouTube. out in 2005 when they put out Kingdom Hearts 2 that the underwater combat was a bad idea. And then somewhere in the past 15 years, they thought maybe we can try again. And while it's better than it was 20 years ago, it still sucks. Yeah, I mean, if there's um, anything that we've learned in the past three years, is that humanity is very bad at learning the mistakes of the past. And <laughs> here's a, that here's we a, forget our history, and we are doomed always to repeat the mistakes we've made. And here's a little tiny, tiny spoiler for the last boss battle. Uh, a small segment of it is done underwater with that underwater <laughs> combat, and I'm like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> when it's like entirely there's so unnecessary. Much, there's so much momentum in all these this last boss rush, and then you're there. You you do like three bars of health underwater on the last boss, and you're like, "Why? Why do I have to do this?" But anyway, the re- otherwise there are a ton of gameplay mechanics. There's the um, attraction rides or something that you do, where you attack people with Disney rides, and that's always fun. Um, I love I love seeing those on YouTube just for the Disney like theme park nerd in me. It's like those are really cool little pieces of Disney history they have scattered in the game, and that's neat stuff. Yeah, and I think it's actually a really interesting way to put more Disney stuff in the game without adding more Disney worlds. 
Um, and speaking of the Disney worlds, actually, I think there aren't as many of them in this game. There are only eight, I think. Um, and all but one of them are really, really good. Um, a couple of them are weaker. I, interestingly enough, I think the two strongest ones are the Frozen and Tangled ones. Um, they happen to... Well, they have... For one, in English, they have probably the best voice casts because they're just the, the casts from the movies. Mm-hmm. Those are easier to get the cast back for. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, for Cinderella, all those people are dead. Yeah, yeah kind of tough. Um, Although, luckily, Cinderella now is voiced by Jennifer Hale, or she has been for like 20 years. So that is an easy person to get for a video game. Yeah. Because that happens to be Jennifer Hale's day job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and within those worlds, um, I, you mentioned this on your last podcast, actually, that I had mentioned it to you. There's The environments are a lot bigger, um, and it feels just a lot more modern that way. Um, not like modern for Kingdom Hearts, like an actual modern game. Um, so, you know, really good progress there, I think. Um, the one thing that I don't mind, but I know a lot of people don't like, is just the sheer number of cutscenes in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, But that's always been true of Kingdom Hearts, like... Sometimes you watch 30 minutes of cutscenes and then play for 10 minutes. It's like Metal Gear Solid. If you're making it to, you know, the third or fourth or fifth game, you have to be okay with it. And it's the ninth game. And you just, if you're not along for that at this point, then it's not for you. Yeah. And that's, it's too bad. Um, And uh, one more thing that's just absolutely astounding is the music in the game. Yoko Shimomura with... I don't know what new resources she's been given for Final Fantasy XV and this, but she's absolutely hitting it out of the park with the music. Um, I'm really disappointed there's not a soundtrack yet. Um, and um, Ukaru, he, what's her name? She, Utada. Utada, yeah. yeah. Um, Utada Hikaru, who, as we always knew her in the past, because it was always presented the Japanese way on like message boards. And, Hikaru, yeah. Yes. yeah. The... the... The composer of and singer of Simple and Clean, which is the song from Kingdom Hearts 1. Which is which called I'm Hikari. Still yeah. convinced that that is the only reason why Kingdom Hearts ever fucking took off, is that trailer was really good with that song. It might be. That song is really good. Yeah. All the songs she does are well, so the, good. One of the most amazing things is if you look up, because she does two songs mm-hmm. for each of them. Not, not just like the beginning and the closing one, but she does the English and the Japanese, and they're yeah. different songs every time. Yeah. And somehow they're like thematically important, both of them, so you should look up the... The lyrics to both of them. Well, what's really cool want. is there's a there's a something must have happened over the last few years to make like rights management between English and Japanese music easier because it used to be just this iron wall where you never got Japanese music in America, but you can get an EP on Spotify or Apple Music of Hikaru Utada doing the two themes for Kingdom Hearts three in English and in Japanese. That blows my twelve year old mind uh-huh. yeah. because that used to be hours of finding the right piracy site. And here's yeah. actually the weird thing about that. This isn't about Kingdom Hearts three, but for Kingdom Hearts two, the songs uh, "Sanctuary" and "Passion" in English it's "Sanctuary" in Japanese it's "Passion." Um, there is no soundtrack that includes the English versions. That's weird. interesting. There is not. You cannot get the English versions unless you rip them from the game. Yeah, that's, that's very bizarre. Yeah, music rights are weird, but yeah, yeah. Yoko yeah. Shimomura, the composer, she can do no wrong. I wish she did more games. But she puts a lot of work into the game she does, so... Yeah, yeah. You know. and it's a lot of music. And I think the variety of styles across all the Disney worlds is really well represented, so... Um, I want her to do an actual fucking Disney movie. It would be so much better. <laughs> she should. Um, so, here's the part where I need to ask if you guys are okay with spoilers. I already know what happens at the end of this video game. Okay. It also won't mean all that much to me. Okay. Yeah. So, um... So, so this is more for the audience... Spoiler yeah, spoiler alert. warning starting here. Yes. 
I'm not going to go super crazy with it. But Did you want to say what, in terms of the Disney worlds, what you didn't like? Because you said you liked Tangled sure. and Frozen. Um, so parts of the Caribbean, I sort of already touched on. The underwater combat's not great. Um, the, the world also starts out in um, like this weird aerial battle that's like a one-time thing where you're on the back of this monster fighting things. Of course, Pirates of the Caribbean yes, where like, you fight in the air with monsters. Yeah, you were also telling great. me, which made me laugh, I guess in the past Pirates of the Caribbean games they've done the plot of Curse of the Black Pearl. In this game they skip ahead to At World's End and don't oh, yeah. do Dead Man's Chest. Yeah, they, they skip to At World's End and they skip from, like, it starts out in Davy Jones' locker, you get Jack out of there, and then the next scene with Will and Elizabeth is when Elizabeth's already the pirate queen. And they're talking to Cutler Beckett or something. So if you haven't seen the movie, there's it makes absolutely no fucking sense. And if you have seen the movie, it still doesn't make any so sense. So it just starts with Jack Sparrow dead. Yeah, and they, they kind of say like, oh, Davy Jones sent his beastie or whatever. And it's like, oh, cool. I saw the movie, so I know what you're talking about. I mean, Honestly, I don't think I would know what they're talking about. I haven't seen the movie since it was in the movie theater. And the only thing I remember is like weird Jack Sparrow stuff at the beginning and then it turns into a ripoff of the opening scene of Return of the Jedi. And that's it. I got nothing else from that movie. <laughs> you want to know how, long, how uh, old that movie is, Sean? It's as old as Kingdom Hearts 2, right? Like it's, it's 12 years old. It's yeah, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so actually, it's after. newer than Kingdom Hearts yeah. 2. But there has not been a console Kingdom Hearts in that time. So yes. Yeah. Um, All right. So sorry to interrupt. And then what was the other world? The other world that I thought was disappointing was uh, Toy Box, which is the Toy Story world. Yeah, I've heard that people didn't take to that one that much. It's got a really good like beginning and then... Most of the world is just this toy store, which is actually, like, it's good, but it, it it's not anything from Toy Story. Yeah, and there's right. so many locations from the movies they could have done something with, and they just didn't, so... I think people, like, really wanted to do the kind of, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where you're you're down on, like, the toy level, looking at, at the world from below, and they wanted more of that. Yeah, and I don't, I don't really care about that. Um, the thing that was weird to me in that one is the, I guess this is a slight spoiler... It it ends with like, so the whole the whole plot of that one it takes place probably after Toy Story two or something, but before three, so they're still with Andy, um, and they've been transported to this alternate world, but only Woody, Buzz, uh, Ham, and Rex, I think, and they're trying to find a way back to their real world so they can see their friends again. And at the end of that world, there's literally no resolution to that whatsoever. They're just like, it's okay because we still have these friends together. Well, no, I mean, that makes sense because that's going to be the plot of Toy Story 4 is that they all <laughs> teleport back in from some alternate dimension sure. and, like, Woody is 500 years old or something and has post-traumatic stress disorder and he's telling us about, like, the coming apocalypse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. saw those trailers, And right? then that'll be in Kingdom Hearts 4. Yes. Yeah. Um, so j- just a little weird there, I think, but not bad, in my opinion. All right. So so now back to the story. You were going to tell us about, I guess, the ending? So, or... yeah, here's the thing. Um, in other Kingdom Hearts games, at least 1, 2, Birth by Sleep, and 358 Days, sort of the, the ones I would consider the biggest games, um, the story is always like, you start out, you know, there's the standard JRPG tutorial sort of thing at the beginning. Yeah, you run around on this fucking island for like yeah. five hours. Yeah. In Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, it's way too fucking long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, in 1, you're on the island, and in 2, you're playing as Roxas, which I've come to like more, but I still don't think it's good. <laughs> um, anyway, then you do all this stuff with the Disney worlds, and sort of laced in there is the actual story of the game. But the actual story of the Kingdom Hearts part of the game has to sort of share screen time with all the Disney stories. With, and then, and it's important to note, the Disney stuff is almost never significant to like the actual plots, right? In the sense of yes. like, none of those, like, 
other than maybe like Mickey Mouse, none of the Disney characters ever like really meaningfully interact with the villain characters and that kind of stuff. And well, until in in Kingdom Hearts one, I would agree. In Kingdom Hearts two, after you clear all the Disney worlds, there's this big story event. Um, and then you have to go back through all of them, and they do all play with the actual main villains of the game. Okay. Um, not all of them, but most of them do. And it feels really important because you've done all the worlds before, and now you're getting into like the meat of the Kingdom Hearts story. Mm-hmm. And then you go do like the last, um, sort of the last world with the original bosses and original characters, um, and that part's always the best part of the game. Um, and in this game, in Kingdom Hearts 3, they sort of cut out the middle portion. So you do all the Disney worlds, and then immediately you do the last boss rush. Okay. So there's, there's no point at which the actual Kingdom Hearts core of the story has time to breathe. And, you know, it's seeded in the Disney worlds to an extent, but really, most of the story is just in the last boss rush. And when I say boss rush, I mean... It's like 26 boss battles. It takes like six hours. Fuck. And it is really good, actually. I really like the last stretch of the game. But it still feels like, even though you're fighting these bosses for six hours, basically, it still feels like you're just getting to the ending way too fast. Because mm-hmm. um, that was your complaint you told me is this game is too short. I actually think it's too short. I think the game needs more cutscenes. <laughs> Which it sounds fucking crazy for a Kingdom Hearts game that it might need more cutscenes. But ultimately, like... This is what I was talking about with Mass Effect. Um, if I were to make like a checklist of things that need to be resolved for Mass Effect 3 or something, I'd say, like obviously, they need to defeat the Reapers, but also they need to touch on the Genophage. Um, the Quarians need to get their homeworld back. You need to figure out what the Geth are going to do. That kind of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, the Rachni Queen. All yeah, the kind of yeah. stuff that you've been building. The, stu- yeah. the stuff that you got to do in the first two games. Now, obviously, Kingdom Hearts is not a choice-driven game in any way. Um, but still, there's a sizable checklist of things that I would want resolved. All, you know, obviously, the main villain, Xehanort, he needs to be wrapped up somehow. Yes. Um, Him the, in, like, the fucking 500 forms he has. And yeah, the, 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 the Organization shit. 13, which yeah. is actually more than 13, and they keep mentioning that. Well, because aren't they... Because it's not, it's not called Organization 13 because there's 13 of them. It's because they, like, need 13 evil people or They need 13 right? vessels of darkness. Yes, exactly. Yeah, to create the true Keyblade. Yes, that's um, which, is, which is that's the Keyblade that's spelled with the Greek character key. With the, yeah, yes, because there's Keyblades, which are which are keys, and then there's the Keyblade, which for the longest time, when I because most of what I know from Kingdom Hearts, I should have explained this earlier, was reading Wikipedia summaries because it was like Metal Gear Solid for me. Of every few years, I'd be like, "What the fuck is this video game franchise?" And I'd read a bunch of shit on the internet, and I was always confused. That they would always have this thing that looks like it's the X-Blade, because the Greek <laughs> the character X-Blade. key looks like an X. And I'm like, yeah. well, I, haven't had, I didn't know people who play Kingdom Hearts. They've never talked about this shit. It seems super important. And I realized, oh, it's pronounced the same way as Keyblade. Here's the thing. Which is very confusing. In Birth by Sleep, when that, when that weapon is first mentioned, L- Leonard Nimoy, as uh, Master Xehanort, he says, the Keyblade. Some people say Kai. And I'm like, why not just call it the fucking Kyblade so we know what we're talking about then? I love that this is a video game where you have to have the subtitles on to know what they're talking about. Yes. Anyway, for the if I mention that again, I'm going to say Kyblade. Okay. Just so thank we, don't you. Have to, we don't have to relitigate this. This podcast does not have subtitles. I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. I also so I, I've looked up um, on how long to beat just because I was curious, and it seems like this is almost exactly in line with the lengths of the other um, Kingdom Hearts games. It, I think it's a little longer. And part of the problem is it took me a lot longer to play a game when I was 10 than it does now. Because, okay, like, yeah. I'm, I don't suck at everything. Just um, some things. Yeah, just most things. But not all video games. Um, 
Anyway, the, the thing I was talking about with, like, the things that I want resolved, technically all of those things are resolved in this game. The only loose threads are the things that I didn't expect to be resolved, like the stuff that is in um, Union Cross back cover or whatever, with the Book of Prophecy or whatever. Like, I don't really know what they're talking about, and they don't try to touch on that in this game, and I think that's good. But, because every, every resolution comes in this last boss rush, one after another, none of them have time to breathe, none of them have time to feel significant even, and I think that's the game's probably second biggest weakness. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason I was comparing it to Mass Effect is because all those things that get resolved, get resolved in their own sort of fleshed out space and then you get time for that to sort of settle and do the next thing. Yeah, like, like Mass Effect 3 is constructed of like effectively in a series of chapters that's like, okay, yeah. here's where we deal with the genophage, yeah. here's where we deal with the geth, and then they're separate in like big meaty chunks of the game that, yeah, as, as you finish one, the effects of that continue to resonate with the character. Yeah, and that's what I think this game really needed. Um, like, the, the biggest two things other than defeating the villain that I really wanted this game to do was... Um, sort of fix the other trios in the game. So you've got like the standard Sora, Kairi, Riku trio mm-hmm. from the original one. Then in Birth by Sleep, you've got Terra Aquaventus, who yes. like the plot of that game is that they're tragically separated for a decade. Um, and then 358 Days Over 2 is also tragic. There's this trio of Axel, uh, Roxas, and Shion. And Axel's the only one who still exists at the end of that game. Um, so, you know, I wanted those things to all be resolved. And since they're all resolved right next to each other, they, none of them feel significant or satisfying. Okay. Um, and especially, there's there's some stuff where um, things are set up toward the beginning of the game, like Sora's talking about trying to get Roxas back because his heart's still inside of Sora's heart. Oh, yes, which, of course. if you've played the games, that, that part does, makes, makes total sense. It's fine. Well, yeah, because um, they're, originally they are of the same entity, but then Roxas was split off because he's Sora's... No, nobody. He's Sora's nobody. Nobody, yes. not heartless, because that's a different thing. No, yeah, the heartless. Yeah, heartless yes. is a different thing. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, but Sora's mentioning sort of toward the beginning that he he wants to try to help Roxas come back, and then sort of in the second half of the game he stops talking about it, and then all of a sudden Roxas comes back, and he has a cutscene explaining how he came back, but that's it. And same thing with Shion. Actually, it's much less satisfying. They they sort of give hints about her. Her heart maybe still existing in some capacity inside Shion of Roxas' being heart. Another Sora generated other entity in the world, correct? Yes. Yes. And apparently some people really don't like Shion. I think she's actually the most compelling Kingdom Hearts character, if not the most confusing also, but um I, I mean I, that would make sense <laughs> with Kingdom Hearts that most compelling and most confusing would go together. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think that's that, that does not, you know, strike false for me. But the way she comes back is even less satisfying because she didn't exist at all at the end of 358 Days. And then in this game, all of a sudden, like, the villain brought her forward in time and she's back. And that's how her story's resolved. Wait. Wait. <laughs> so, so, so she, did she die, disappears because she's the one that people forget about her at the end of that game. Yeah. Right? And because people don't remember what And there's, there's one really, really good cutscene at the beginning where Axel starts to remember her, and they never touch back on that again. And huh. it's such a missed opportunity for an emotional payoff to this story that is just not there. So what is the time travel thing them retconning that's like, no, she didn't stop to exist because people forgot her. They stopped to forget, they, she stopped existing because she no longer existed in that point in the timeline because she got transported through time to this moment in Kingdom Hearts 3? Uh, no to both? <laughs> What? Definitely no to the second one. Okay. Like, 
the time travel thing doesn't make sense. That's probably the worst part of the story. <laughs> okay. But that's for, that's from three B is the time travel stuff. Okay, I don't just I don't think I you got to just take thing. the time travel stuff for for granted. It's just it just exists. It's so it's just them cheating any sort of narrative rules and calling it time travel. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Okay. And ultimately, you know, there's the themes of people's hearts still existing through through memories and stuff and and connections, which I think is like the main point of the game. And again, sort of missed opportunity to actually yeah. capitalize on that. Um, the same thing with uh, the birth by sleep trio. Like you spend a lot of the game thinking, like, okay, we know where Aqua is. That's actually what zero point two is about: is that she's been trapped in the uh, the dark dimension, so to speak. <laughs> Like um, like Christopher Eccleston in yeah, like Thor the Dark World? Um, yes. So she's in the realm of darkness. She has been for ten years, so you're trying to go save her. Eventually you save her, and then immediately you get Ventus back, and Aqua's... Or immediately you get Ventus back, and Terra is just at the final battle. Alright. Yeah. It, Which actually makes sense, but because those two things are so close to each other, it doesn't feel that impactful. I also want to point out that now, because this is, we have another Sora-adjacent entity in Ventus, who's not a Sora-produced creature, like a Roxas or a Shion, but Sora himself was inf- influenced by the existence of Ventus yeah, in so some way, at right? at the end of Birth by Sleep, Aqua has to put Ventus into sort of a deep sleep, because yes. the Kai Blade is actually Ventus. Don't have time to get into that. Yes. Um... This all makes sense. So, but anyway, Ventus's heart is trapped in Sora, basically, or protected by Sora, and that's why Roxas looks like Ventus. Yes. Is that also why Sora... Is Sora special because he has Ventus sleeping inside of him? No. No. Then why is Sora special? Sora is special because he has the ability to see the best in people and make friends. But does he have that because he's influenced by the innate goodness of Ventus, who was sort of his predecessor? I I don't think so. Because Ventus is a way more boring character. Yeah, but he's, he's sleeping most... inside of Sora's. He's been sleeping inside of Sora's heart for like Sora's entire life, right? Surely Sora would have been unconsciously influenced by the the goodness of Ventus, who is the last person to like. Is Ventus good? But he's like the protagonist he's of just, that one. He's wet paper. He's, yeah, but the Sora, he's the, the he's good guys are always far like the least interesting part of Birth by Sleep. Yeah, but you know, good guys are like wet paper, Fight. and he's he's morally good. And that's why Sora is morally good, is because he's got a Ventus in him. Jonathan, are we boring you? No, okay, I'll be honest. You're looking at TV. I'm looking up, so Sean has a really nice 4K TV. <laughs> I've been envious of it for a while. I just got my tax refund. You're talking about this. My mind, you know that episode of The Simpsons where Homer's like, you know, I'll pay attention to it, and it goes up to, or something like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Homer says, yes, and it goes up, and a monkey is playing the cymbals. Yeah. My mind was doing monkeys playing the cymbals, and so I searched for Sean's TV on Best Buy, and it is like $100 off this month. So, there you go. right? Yours is 55 inches, right? Yes. Yeah, it's $360. That's there you not go. Bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, That's about what it was when I got it because it was also on sale. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll stop this. I just, I, I, the, it's, it's like sometimes when I'm in class and people start using too many like theory terms about film and being like, well, Deleuze thought this, and I'm just like, nope, monkeys playing symbols in my head. Okay, well, I'm going to shift topics slightly to talk about the villain now because I actually think okay, he's great. another weak point of the game. Yes, Xehanort. Yeah, Xehanort um, and his, his 12 vessels. Um, mostly just the old man Xehanort. One of the most disappointing things for the English dub, at least, is that Leonard Nimoy obviously can't do that voice anymore. So yeah. they gave it to some. Well, they Nimoy gave it to Rutger Hauer, is who is not like a rando. 
Uh, Rucker Hauer, who was batty in uh, Blade, Blade, Runner. Blade Runner. He just sounds bored, though. Like, it's not a good performance. Yeah, yeah I mean, Rucker Hauer is a little different. Leonard Nimoy was active doing various things his entire life. Yeah. Rucker Hauer has not been in, like, a ton of movies. I, yeah, and it's it's not that big a deal, but it's just sort of sad when you get to the last villain, and instead of Leonard Nimoy's really gruff old man voice, it's just sort of this whatever voice. Yeah. I've always been know. very impressed by Kingdom Hearts' dedication to their celebrity voice casting, yeah, like going absolutely. back to Haley Joel Osment as yeah. Sora, who has been Sora in all of the games, right? Yeah, I think that's the past the point he when he was a celebrity. Yeah. Exactly, yes. Hey, yeah. he was really good in that episode of the second season of the Revived X-Files. I didn't know he was in that. It's cool. the Skinner, director Skinner-focused episode. It's very good. He's creepy in it. Anyway, um... He's the villain is mostly not in the game actually. He kind of shows up at the end and you kind of know what he's planning the whole time, but then he shows up at the end and he has this big monologue about what why he's actually evil because he wants to destroy the world so that the world can be rebuilt and not have so much darkness in it. You know what they should have done? They should have just had him deliver word for word the monologue from the end of Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> yes. It could have been any it's... monologue, honestly. Like, it would have been more interesting if it was just darkness had overtaken him and that's why he was evil. Yeah, that he would was have just, just evil. Instead of trying to do the JRPG thing of like, no, I am yeah. trying to bring peace to humanity, but you don't understand that humans are what brings evil and suffering into the world. So the only way to make the world good is to destroy everything that exists. And then all the protectors are just like... No, and he's like, yeah. okay, then we fight. Yeah, and like ultimately, what you just said was more compelling than the reasons he gave. <laughs> um, if not, well, yeah, because mine was at least like rooted in things that exist instead of like yeah. the abstract concept of hearts and friendship and goodness. But there's also light, but then there is darkness that is also an abstract, not real thing that exists somehow vaguely in this universe. And these vowed forces are in balance, but we must destroy them so that the light becomes good. But we have to, to make the light good, there has to be less of the darkness, but first there has to be more of the darkness. Yeah, and, and yeah. <laughs> right, like that's but basically then, the kind yeah, of speech he gives, and, correct? And of course, because it's a JRPG with this trope now, at the end he's redeemed by his old friend who oh, lived great. inside Terra, so they go to the Realm of Light at the end or something, and they're dead. That's nice. Oh, fuck that. Xenor nice. shouldn't it go to the Realm been... of Light, that time-traveling old prick. Here's the thing, it would have been more compelling, like I said, if he had just been consumed by darkness, and then you rescue him from that, then his redemption would make sense, rather than... He was evil because he chose to be, and now he's redeemed. Especially because his redemption comes however long it takes you to do these last boss battles after he fucking kills Kyrie. Wait, he kills Kyrie? He kills yeah. Kyrie. But don't worry, she comes back. Oh, she does. She okay. comes back. He but he fucking killed her. Like and then he's redeemed. Yeah, I, I like I I could not deal with that. That was oh, a no. problem for Kyrie me. seems like she's to continue the Naruto metaphor of uh, Riku is Sasuke. Kyrie seems like Sakura, and if Kyrie is like Sakura, it's probably fine. It's like because she's not that. She's not even Naruto's actual love interest, right? Yes, no, like like Hinata yeah. marries Naruto, which was the correct pairing. I who's the he, who's the Hinata of Kingdom Hearts? Who's the um, one that Sora actually should be with? Because Sora should actually boring. be with Kyrie. No, but, that's not true. But Kyrie is boring in this game. So Hinata is like Ginny in Harry Potter. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, well, that's the girl Harry marries, and then Ron gets with with Sasuke. But but did people? But wait, <laughs> is it good that Nard? Or, sorry, is it good that Harry marries Ginny, or is it just like, oh, this is dumb? In the books, yes. In the movies, no. Okay, because in Naruto, it is like a like Naruto clearly should be with Hinata the whole time. That's like that's the true love 
Um, but it seemed like for the longest time they're going to set up a Naruto Sakura thing, and then they pull back at the end. And it's like, oh no, he actually hooks up with Hinata, and they make like a surprisingly really good movie about their relationship, Naruto: The Last, the movie. Um, and you're like, okay, I can't believe this is like the one good relationship thing in all of Naruto. Nice. Well, anyway, <laughs> back to um, speaking of Kairi, she's the biggest problem with the game, actually. Her the and, true and the surrounding stories. Um, first off, they in the build up to the game and at the end of like 3D, um, it's revealed that she's going to be a Keyblade wielder, so she's going to like fight in this final battle against yeah. darkness, and it's going to be awesome. And Every, that doesn't happen. Yeah, every mm-hmm. scene with her was in the trailers, actually. With <laughs> with one exception that was actually really, really good. And the scenes she has are, for the most part, really good. And, you know, it's like for the whole game, she's training off-screen, basically, and then in the end, she comes in for the final battle. You see her swing her keyblade, like, twice, and then she gets kidnapped. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. That sounds about right. Honestly, Sakura is more useful in compelling a character in Naruto than that. Yeah. At least she fucking saves people's lives. And Here's shit. the thing, though. Kyrie, Kyrie saves everyone's life before that happens, but they downplay it because, like... And this is getting back into the stuff that'll bore you, Jonathan, but she was a princess of heart in the first game, and now she's also a, a guardian of light as a yeah. Keyblade wielder. So the plot of the first Kingdom Hearts is that the villains are trying to assemble all these different princesses because they're pure-hearted, and then at yeah. the end, it turns out that Kyrie was the most pure-hearted princess of them all. Yeah. Even though she's not a princess and has no actual political power in that world. She might on the islands. You don't really learn much about the political structure of the Destiny Islands. Are there? Do they have parents? Yes. Does Sora have and a And that's mom? the thing. They mention them in the very beginning, like Sora's in his room in the first game, and, and his mom shouts at him, and then he leaves and never sees her again. Huh. Huh. Because they <laughs> maybe all the time travel bullshit just erased them from existence. It's possible. Yeah, they it's... also go to school. Like, Kyrie is in a schoolgirl right. uniform for the whole second game. So... What do they learn in school in the Kingdom Hearts world? Bullshit? Uh, how to build rafts. <laughs> is, is, are you saying that because they build a raft at some point? Or that is there an actual lesson where Kyrie's sitting down at the desk and is like, and then you take the vine... Well, that's all they do on the islands, okay. is build the raft, so I have to assume... Oh, you're, so somewhere. you're saying she goes to school on the island... It's a small island. I there's, ran around that whole fucking thing like well, five times. Island. That's, okay. that's the island they go to for fun. The main island is somewhere else. Okay, I um, guess I never saw that part. So clearly they already had a boat to get them to and from. I don't know why they needed the raft. Anyway, um, in this game, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Kyrie. Kyrie stuff. Yeah, she has little screen time. She ultimately doesn't get to do any fighting. She does do something really cool where everyone is actually killed at some point by the darkness and Sora goes through and rescues their hearts and then Kyrie rescues Sori, Sora um, and that part is actually a really good scene I think it's a really compelling part of the game probably the high point emotionally but it's immediately downplayed because then they say like, like Sora's like oh how'd you bring me back and Kyrie's like I just believed you'd come back it's like really she's supposed to have all this power and it's just like I just believed it's it's just such a, a sounds missed, right. Yeah. It's such a missed opportunity for everything. It makes so me this really sad. is like when um, in the final arc of Naruto, in the the fourth world ninja world war, um, when when shit's going off with Uchiha Madara, um, who has come back to life, of course, at this point like twice. Um, Naruto is killed and he has his heart stopped because they pulled the nine tails fox out of him. And of course, a Jinchuriki, a person who holds um, any sort of tailed beast, cannot live if they've been separated from their tailed beast. And so Naruto has died, and Sakura, knowing how to use medical ninjutsu, cuts a hole in the side of his fucking torso and sticks her hand in there and pumps his fucking heart with her fucking hand. And that's some badass shit. And that's why Sakura is better than Kairi. Thank you for coming. 
I agree with you. I think Kyrie is, from all the stuff I've just said, sort of horrendously mishandled in this game. Mm-hmm. That's too um, bad. Yeah, it, it really is too bad, especially because then um, at the end of the game, Sora uses the power of awakening to essentially bring Kyrie back to life. Um, and in doing so, he fades from existence or from time. We're not really sure. Oh, so it has like an ambiguous ending with Sora? Yeah, like Sora's gone. Everyone else has their happy ending. They're all together. Everyone's reunited. And Sora's the only one missing. Yeah, he fades um, away and they all forget. Okay, him. this is the most interesting thing about the game that I've heard of. It is, but it's at the very end. And this is why I think, you know, I I, I said a lot of negative stuff about this game. I, I still think it's actually a really good game. Um, so... But you've been, I mean, you've told me this off the air, that you've been trying to, like, sort out your feelings on Kingdom Hearts 3, and that's why you wanted to come on. It's not that the negative stuff is, like, the only thing in the game. You think it's a good game, but it's it's something you've been grappling with because this game was so long in the works. Yeah, so long in the works, and I've been trying to balance what my expectations versus my desires for the game were. And, like, you know, my pipe dream was that, like, because you and Kairi and, not you, Sora and Kairi and Riku were all Keyblade wielders, like, you'd all get to fight together at some point, and that never happens. Um, what happens to Riku at the end of the game? He's fine. He Is there goes, anything interesting? Any character? Uh, he goes and rescues Nomine. Not okay. rescues, but he picks her up. So who the fuck's Nomine? Nomine. Nomine is from actual nobody. Yeah, she's Kyrie's nobody. She's in the Game Boy Advance one. Yeah, Chain of Memories. Chain of Memories. Yeah, I remember this. I read that on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm thinking. You know, this actually leaves a really interesting opportunity for a next game where Sora is like the main character but maybe not the playable character or something because you have to go rescue him but from well, the after just, the credit scene I have a feeling Sora it's just going to be fine um, and you're just going to play as him I mean does, do now, the post credit scene like hint at Sora's resurrection or something it, it, it reveals that he exists somewhere still it okay. looks like actual Tokyo, so people... It's it's actually a really interesting cutscene. Okay, that'd be um, great if they did a fucking game where Sora goes to Tokyo, and you need to have Donald and Goofy go well, with him. Here's the thing. The, the, there's It's him and Riku are both in this place. No idea how Riku got there, why he's there. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, if anyone's going to come rescue him, I wish it'd be Kyrie because she should just be a playable character if in the If anyone's next game. going to come rescue Sora, it should obviously be his true love, Goofy. Well, he's, they already rescued him, like, twice. Sure. Sora. <laughs> um, Garsh. But there's also this guy, gosh, I'm not sure what his name is, but the name of the cutscene is Yozora or something, and it looks like the original design of the character who became Noctis from Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. So that actually really excites me that uh, Nomura is going to do, you know, something with some of his original plans for Versus Thirteen and Kingdom Hearts, and maybe the world ends with you, too, all in one game. We'll see. I mean, this is, this is like a thing to, to bring up, is... The original, one part of the original pitch of Kingdom Hearts is that it was a crossover between Square Enix and Kingdom Hearts, specifically the Square Enix side on um, bullshit JRPGs and Final Fantasy. So you yeah. have all your original characters that vest the bullshit JRPG part. And then you have the Sephiroth Disney is stuff. there, and the Cloud is there, and Squall, but they call him like Leon or something. Yeah, his name's Leon. Leon Hart, fucking stupid. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And you have this creepy child Waka and, and some of the other... Is Titus there? Is he also yeah. on the island? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a little child kid. Titus. It's fucking yeah. he's got his weird. Or it makes you it makes it makes you very uncomfortable. Um, who I guess in this world Titus has parents that are also there, and maybe Jack becomes sin. I don't know. Maybe. maybe that's maybe that's the Kingdom Hearts five. I don't maybe. know. Um, but you have like so. But the point being, in those Kingdom Hearts games, you have Final Fantasy characters. We've not mentioned a single Final Fantasy thing at all. The for only Final Fantasy character in Kingdom Hearts three. Are the Chocobos. 
I mean, they are the best kingdom. You do item synthesis with chocobos, and that's the only Final Fantasy thing in this game. So what's what's Sephiroth up to? What's he doing? He's he's not in this game. There's no optional Sephiroth boss like there has been in the other two. But then when when do you hear people go Sephiroth? It's not it's not in this one. That doesn't that never you don't get okay. No. What about Cloud? Is he He's gone, not in this one. He's just does just doesn't show up. No. Nope. Is there any point where Sora's just hanging around with Donald the Goofy's like, you remember that weirdo with the spiky hair and that huge they, ass sword? They never even mention Leon, who's like I just squall, but yeah. they call him Leon. He's like the main Final Fantasy character, I'd say, in terms of contact with them. Yeah, for the main Final Fantasy character in Kingdom Hearts. In Kingdom Hearts. Not yeah. the main Final Fantasy character in Final Fantasy. <laughs> no. Because that would be classic. <laughs> That's because um, it is interesting that there's no because I had always gotten the sense that as the games went on they downplayed the Final Fantasy stuff. But I think it's weird that there's no Final Fantasy 15 stuff in this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I really, I don't know. That <laughs> like, was the really longest weird. fucking it's silence we have ever had on this show. <laughs> I don't know. Like, don't, like don't know. are you disappointed that there's none of the Final Fantasy stuff? You know, I wasn't as I was playing the game. I've like, never heard a fucking plot description of Kingdom Hearts that substantively involved anything Final Fantasy related. I mean, that's so true. I never... The Disney stuff also, like the Disney stuff, is always like, oh, and then they visit the Disney World, and there's like a MacGuffin or something. But like the actual themes are not really have anything to do with the Disney stuff. Yeah, and in this case, I actually think just the themes they were going for with the story, the Disney worlds are much better at doing that than any Final Fantasy stuff would be. Mm-hmm. But it is weird that like. These characters who were main characters, in, especially in Final Fantasy II, Leon, Yuffie, Aerith, You mean Kingdom Hearts 2. Yeah. yeah, Kingdom Hearts 2, sorry. I don't think they've done a Final Fantasy 2 crossover yet. Yeah. Oh man, in Kingdom Hearts 5, to level up all your abilities, you have to attack your own party members. That'd be <laughs> badass, just like Final Fantasy 2. Yeah. So, all right. So Thomas, I want to play a game with you. Okay. We like to rank things on this show. Oh, this is this would be great. We're gonna rank all the Kingdom Hearts games because you okay. played them. Now I have a list. Tell me which ones to get rid of because I don't know what are real games and what are. Um, you have Kingdom Hearts Cross and Unchained Cross or Kai or Key, whatever those are. Get rid of those. I haven't played those. Are those the like browser? I games? I think those are the browser games. Yeah. I haven't played Coded, but you've seen all the cut. I've seen all the cutscenes. Yeah. Okay. Was, Co- was Coded the one that was originally the like the Japanese phone game? Yeah, like a flip the, phone yeah, game. Yeah, that they yeah. then re-released as Recoded. Okay. Yeah. All but everything games. else. So the main nine I have here, right? Yeah. Okay. Best one. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Two. All right. So KH Two is the best one. Yeah. Um, what's the worst one? Having not played Coded, I might say that one. Okay. Um, the worst one I've played is Chain of Memories. So put that at number eight. Okay, so we'll do... Because at least the story in Chain of Memories is interesting. Alright, sounds good. That so... card gameplay stuff is fucking bullshit, though. Alright. Honestly, my maybe my peak interest in Chain of Memories was hearing that the Game Boy Advance thing was some like card game bullshit. I'm like, that sounds like that might be okay. It's not a card game, though. You have a deck of commands, including attack and heal yourself, and you press A to use them, and then you can't use them again. Oh. Okay, that doesn't sound like... It actually sounds like Paper Mario's recent games with card battle mechanics. Birth by Sleep has a much more interesting card battle mechanic, but... um, Honestly, from what I've heard, Birth by Sleep sounds like it might be the most interesting Kingdom Hearts game. It does to me, too. So, where where would you put it? Like, number two, number seven? Where else would you go with this? So, let's see. Um, Probably 0.2... Well... 0.2 a game? Yeah. Yeah, 0.2. 
I thought that was like a like a long cutscene movie thing. I didn't know it's, it's it like, in like Aqua. It's like two and a half hours, but it's a game. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I'm gonna put actually. I might put Kingdom Hearts three next. Actually, at number seven. That low, Kingdom Hearts three. Did you I'll not hear all that shit it. we just talked about? All right, all that shit with Kyrie. It sucks. Okay. Actually, you know what? Put uh, put zero point two at number seven. Okay. Yeah, that, that one. Barely that one doesn't have game. as as good gameplay. Um. Okay. Let's see. Now, what's what do you think next. is your second favorite? You know what? Delete Kingdom Hearts three from there for now. Oh my god! It can't be that low. You're too indecisive too for this game. Yeah. Well, I'm not on the podcast much. So okay. So for number two, this is probably the hardest one. You know what? Put Kingdom Hearts two. Put Kingdom Hearts three at number two. Okay. Well, okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so we started with. Kingdom Hearts that's sorry, but the last place we were was Kingdom Hearts 3 is number 7 which was the second lowest <laughs> now you're saying it's the second best Thomas I'm going to give you a little game here okay let's make this a little simpler for you Kingdom Hearts 3 v- versus Kingdom Hearts 1 which one is better 3 okay versus 358 days over 2 uh, 358 days over 2 okay then it goes below that 179 days 358 divided by 2 okay days. now versus Birth by Sleep uh, better than Birth by Sleep okay so you would that would be a controversial opinion but Okay, so you have them in this ring. Okay, and then 3D. Which is Dream Drop uh, Distance. Yes. That, one's, that one's tough to place, actually. I guess I put that one above, above or below above above 3. Above 3? Above, above 3, but below 358 days. Okay, yeah. so your ranking would be 358 days over 2 is the second best game. Yes. Okay, I think there are some who would agree with you. Uh, Almost no one. Number 6 would be 3D. Yeah, that number seems about right. Five actually. would be no. I'm, I've got this wrong. Number five would be Kingdom Hearts One, right? Yes. Okay. Number four in this case would be Birth by Sleep. Yeah. And number two, three would be three. Yes. Okay. Then wait, what's number two? Three fifty-eight days over days. two. Okay, so one hundred seventy-nine days is number two. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so here's your ranking right now. Best to worst: Kingdom Hearts Two, three fifty-eight days over two. Kingdom Hearts 3, Birth by Sleep, Kingdom Hearts 1, 3D, 0.2, Chain of Memories, Coded. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm plenty happy with that. You really wouldn't put Birth by Sleep above 3? No. Aqua it, got Norded. That, that in happens three. in Kingdom Hearts 3. So oh. Aqua is from Birth by Sleep originally. Just, Birth by Sleep, I think I would like more if I had played it when it came out. But because I only played it when 2.5 came out, I didn't have 10 years to be disappointed that those characters weren't together. <laughs> I had two years to be disappointed okay. by it. Whereas for 358 Days, I did play that when it came out. So 358 was, Days is actually one I would like to play because it seems relatively self-contained in this like interesting existential story about a character who does and doesn't exist. I'm yeah, actually Because it's the Roxas game. I'm really sad well, that amid all game. these remakes, 358 Days is not the one that got remade. Yeah. Um, because it is difficult to play that one with the DS. That's true. Know, buttons yeah, so, and D-pad. But. Yeah, because the, all the platforms represented on this list are the PlayStation 2, <laughs> the Game Boy Advance, the Nintendo DS, the PlayStation, the PSP, yep. um, where the phone game with coded, like, and then it got re-released as... I think DS it re- game, yeah. That was DS when it was released as recoded. Yeah. Um... Then you have uh, the 3DS with Dream Drop Distance, and mm-hmm. then the PlayStation 4 slash Xbox One yep. with Kingdom Hearts 3. And Notably, it skips the PlayStation 3 other than remakes. Yep. So no no true Kingdom Hearts game on the PlayStation 3. Yep. Or the Vita. Or the Vita, yeah. 
For whatever that's worth. <laughs> Alright, so there you go. That's that's Thomas's controversial rankings of the games. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts 3 is either the best or the worst, depending yeah. on how you I think that. I think that is a perfect perfect summation of all the stuff I said about the game. I think that makes sense. That's fair. Are there any other thoughts you want to have on Kingdom Hearts before we call it a day? Um you know, they, they, you know, we were talking about the enhanced version of Dragon Quest XI, and traditionally they have done that with a lot of the games. They've done the Final Mix version. Yes. Um, I mean, how many different versions of Kingdom Hearts 2 fucking exist? Like, <laughs> three or four? Well, there's two. There's two Final Mix. There's 2.5. There's well, 2.5 HD remaster. There's, yeah. there's the, then the 2.8 Final Chapter prologue has Kingdom Hearts 2. No, that's 2.5. 2.5 is Oh, so two. the 2.5 remix is in 2.8. Final no, no, 2.8 is 3D. Look, here, here's how it is. There's the original 2 and Final Mix. Every other re-release of 2 has been Final Mix. And it's called 2.5. Yes. Because 2.8 is where the 3D game is. Yeah, 2.8 is 3D, 3D and 0.2. Yeah. Wait, so if you buy 2.8, you get Dream Drop Distance and 0.2. Yes, and... But the... you don't get... Kingdom Hearts 2 no, that's in Kingdom Hearts 2.8. No. You get 2 in 2.5. But... HD remakes. But what? No. Here's my point. Why is it called Kingdom Hearts 2 fucking at all if Kingdom Hearts 2.8 if there's no Kingdom Hearts 2 in that package? Because it's before 3. So? That's not how you... That's not how sequels work. That's not how you number shit. That's not how that works. Kingdom Hearts 3D has the number because, 3 in it, but it's not 3. Because then Chain of Memories would be Kingdom Hearts 2, because Chain of Memories takes place after fucking Kingdom Hearts 1. Well, they could have called it Chain of Memories 1.5, but they didn't. They used 1.5 10 years later or whatever. Okay, got Sean. Yeah, but 1.5 is just the re-release of 1. 2.5 is a re-release of 2. So why is 2.8 not another re-release of 2? Because they already did another re-release of 2 and 1.5 yeah, plus 2.5. Yeah, re-release was already like 10 years old or something at that point. You can re-release it again. They, re- they fucking made a remake of Resident Evil 1, and then they did a, an HD remaster of the remake of Resident Evil 1 that's now on the PS4. You can do that. I think but they the, didn't fucking make a Resident Evil 1.8 that didn't have Resident Evil 1 in it. That's my point. I think the box art for Kingdom Hearts 3 should just say in giant letters, that's not how sequels work. <laughs> and that would be the critic's statement. And we I have there. thought for the longest time that Kingdom Hearts 2.8 was like a complete package that included Kingdom Hearts... I thought it had like Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 remixes or whatever, and then the other no, games... No, you're are... thinking of Kingdom Hearts The Story So Far box that came out last year on PS4. And which so, has Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5. Plus, plus 2.8. Plus 2.8. Yeah, yeah, so it's Kingdom Hearts 6.8. <laughs> okay, we're done. That's Kingdom Hearts. Any last words for Thomas? You're going on a grand voyage. Do we want? It, should we give you any life advice? Or yeah, do you have any any questions from your your senpai of life between <laughs> Jonathan and myself? Um, no. Not really. Well, that's a make sure. Yeah, that's a great show we're putting on here. I don't know. You got any advice? Um, there's. I know that you're. You know, you've, you've been learning Japanese on your own, so I don't know where you're at. I just wanted to let you know there's if you, just to get by there's one word in Japanese you need to know which is just sumimasen. Okay. If wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, if you constantly just say sumimasen, you will be fine. People will move out of your way. They will mind. take your orders at a restaurant. They will forgive you if you've done something rude. You just constantly everywhere you go, no matter who you're talking to in whatever context, just say sumimasen and your meaning will be conveyed. 
that might be the most helpful advice I've received from anyone about this whole Japan thing. I mean, it is something where Japanese is a language. We talk about this sometimes on this podcast as we talk a lot about a lot of Japanese games and stuff. It's so much built through context, which is one of the reasons it's very hard to translate between English and Japanese, that English is a very specific language, Japanese is not, which is why you can, with a simple gesture in saying, sumimasen, which is, means excuse me in English, everything will be fixed for you. That's you if you're taking an exam... To, like someone you know doing like a practical exam for your like you're taking a Japanese class or something, you, you need one word simulation and you are fucking good. <laughs> if you run into you know the yakuza on the streets and you mess up one of their plots and they get mad at you, simulation. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I uh, Thomas got a book for Christmas from our parents. Oh, this should be good. That was like culture in Japan or something, like a little guidebook. And I loved there was a page, you go through it, and there's a page on the Yakuza. <laughs> and I really wanted them, there to be tips like how to join the Yakuza. Or it's just like, what, like to, yeah, what to do if like you accidentally are rude to someone who's in the Yakuza. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, And it's just like, you gotta learn how to front, you know? So it's <laughs> like, you need to really learn how to roll your R's. Like, like, listen to a lot of Norio Wakamoto playing characters like Cell, and he just goes, <laughs> whenever he's like, and just roll your R's. It's like, that's one way, and then just in everything, saying Yoro. So if you're doing, you run into a Yakuza dude, that's how you deal with it. I swear you will not get killed if you do that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Thomas, my piece of advice is get a TV where you can get their over-the-air channels because Japanese TV is the most entertaining thing on the fucking planet. Japanese TV is so fucking good! If you, if anybody has ever wondered how, like, good internet videos exist, it's all just, like, fucking, we just copied what Japanese TV does. So it's like, if you watch fucking Let's Plays, that's based on Japanese TV shit. If you like seeing people with, like, video-in-video video reaction videos... That's fucking that's been on Japanese TV for fucking decades. That's like what their talk shows are. It's like here's a dumb shit happening, and here are celebrities reacting to it. All of the like entertaining YouTube videos. That's just Japanese TV has been doing that for fucking decades. So yes. You are going to a land of much better live TV than what we are. We, we, I'm we, just the bullshit we get exposed to. I'm here. just telling you, Thomas. Don't rely on just like Netflix and YouTube and stuff. Like watch the over-the-air Japanese TV. You're gonna see you know beat Takeshi all over it. And not in dramatic movie mode. It's going to be great. Um, I also need you, thinking of Netflix, I need you to make sure while you're there, you get a Japanese Netflix account, um, specifically because I need to know if Persona 3, the movie number two, (laughs) makes when I stream, is still, if if our dream still lives on, on Japanese Netflix, after the heinous tragedy of it being pulled off of American Netflix late last year. I will check literally... As soon as I get there. That's, yes, that's the first thing you do. You yeah. step off the plane. You you walk up to the nearest person say, Samimasen. <laughs> and pull up an image of Netflix on your fucking smartphone. And this is where you... That's how you get started. Okay. Alright. Finally, I think for Sean, you have a quest over the next year. I want you to come back with an autograph from one Miyuki Sawashiro. <laughs> I think you have to do that. For Sean, you have to find her... You have to get her autograph, and Sean will, I presume, just die of a happy heart attack the moment he holds it. If you could get an audio clip of Miyuki Swashiro saying anything to me... To, to you, Sean. To, to me personally. Okay. I want my name, I want some recognition, 
um, because I've been out of contact with Swashiro-san for a long time um, since she bequeathed me the right of bestowing her award for peculiar excellence. I just need to reignite that contact um, and make sure that I am, you know, using her name in the way that she would like, um, that best befits her legacy. Um, so if you could get that and just get a little, just, just her saying my name, I would love you forever. Okay. 